That's right. The fight music means it is time for another prospect show. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse. I am Joshua Johnson. You normally hear me about an hour from now doing the regular Dynasty Pulse podcast. But today we're going to start a little bit early as me and co-owner Dan Hines, who I have on the line here, are going to talk 2016 running backs. What's going on, Dan? Hey, Josh. Happy to be here, man. My favorite college running back. <laughs> uh, we know, we know, and we remember well that Dave or Dan unearthed David Johnson last year for everybody, and so I guess you're welcome for that, people. Um, <laughs> and uh, Devonta Freeman the year before was my number one oh, running yeah. back over yeah, home, You know, I'm still a Kevin Coleman fan. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so we this is actually wrapping up our prospect series. You know, last year we did one show and we got the wide receivers got cut off, and I wasn't very happy about that. So me and Bill Serby did a wide receiver show the following week and I thought when we were doing that, like there's no reason we can't do like four of these just to give every position its due. And I think because we do that and, and as a fan of a bunch of podcasts myself, I think Dan that we go deeper than anybody else. So I, I'm pretty proud of the fact that we touch on more prospects than anybody else. You know, we've been talking IDP guys on the podcast for, for a few months now. We did our own IDP podcast. So that sets us alone anyway. But then we did a quarterback, tight end, an offensive line show. I have to talk offensive line. I just can't help myself. Um, <laughs> IDP show. Me and Bill Servi did the wide receiver show yesterday, and we're hitting you with running backs today, followed by the regular scheduled uh, Dynasty Pulse, where we're going to talk about uh, orphaned teams and what you're supposed to do going forward with that. So that should be good, as uh, Nick will be joining here in about an hour, as well as, well as uh, Bill Lack for the uh, orphaned teams conversation about uh, 1 o'clock Central time. Um, we can talk Central time today because me and Dan are still in the same time zone. But anyway... It's time to talk running backs. Um, any uh, any any overall thoughts on the on the class, or just any uh, any good sleepers for us outside your top ten there, Dan? Yeah, I mean, quick on the class. I'm not blown away, you know. By I'm not blown away by the talent level of this class. I mean, certainly it's a notch down overall from 2015's class. Um, that said, that doesn't mean that there isn't serious upside here depending on what you're looking for. And let's, you know, that'll be fun as we start our discussions is it's always interesting to me what other people look for. And, um, you know, I certainly know what I look for and uh, to see what that translation is going to look like. Uh, I think I'm going to surprise a few people with some of my picks in the top 10. I think they're going to be traditionally at the bottom of most people's top 10s or even out of the top 10. So I don't have a lot of sleepers. I think actually my sleepers, you'll see them, coming up later within the top 10. Uh, one person that I could seriously see moving into my top 10, he's currently out of it, and I think is a real, real sleeper, um, is Tra Carson, running back from Texas A&M. Um, I really like him. Um, he reminds me, well, I mean, the best comparison would be to kind of a Zach Stacy type prospect. I mean, there's definitely some limitations, but he's very solid. He's your 5'11", 230-pound bowling ball that you want to see at the NFL. Very versatile. Scans, I mean, awesome in pass protection. He's one of the best pass blockers out there. Scan protection is flawless. Um, you know, he reminds me a lot of former Aggie Kristen Michael. Um, certainly not necessarily in a straight-line speed or excitability, but in a lot of ways he's better. I think he has better vision. I think their feet work is very similar. 
Um, he's definitely better as a wide receiver and a protector, which is why we haven't seen Kristen Michael emerge in the NFL is the guy just doesn't understand how to pass protect and he's going to kill his quarterbacks. That's why he's bounced around and maybe he'll get it. Maybe he won't. But one thing I look for at the next level is you have to protect your quarterback. So it's a very underrated part of the game and people tend to overlook it. So if you're looking for somebody that is most likely going to not get even drafted in your top 48 if you're having a standard four-round offensive 12-team draft. Tra Carson is definitely somebody that is worth stashing on your bench. Maybe the Thomas Rawls of this class, would you say? Huh? Maybe the Thomas Rawls of this class, possibly, a guy that goes undrafted but but emerges. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think there's, I mean, there's plenty of these guys. I mean, even within my top ten, that won't surprise me at all if they don't get don't get drafted even by an NFL team. Um, I don't know, you know, there's not a huge need for running back out there. And, again, this class is just not overwhelming. Um, there's a few, there's one guy that I'm excited to talk about because, I think certain teams will find him very tasty, you know, and maybe he's somebody that mm-hmm. no one's even talking about. So teaser. Okay. How about you? Yeah. And I, I like, I like uh Kaysen a lot too. I've seen just a little bit of fill on him, but when, and when Dan says he's solid, he's not just talking about his, his attributes. He's, he is solid. Like from the, from the thigh to the upper body, he is just a solid kid. And one thing that I really like about him is he just, has he runs with so much balance and that's I think that's maybe a little bit of an underrated trait for running backs. But he does he does run with a lot of balance and that's gonna help him break tackles and get through get through guys and get that extra yardage. So I, I like him a lot. Um well one of our one of the one of the uh, former members here, uh, one of our former staffers writers I should say, Sal Conti turned me on to Tyler Irvin. Uh, back in the middle middle of February, he did some video breakdowns on him, so I just wanted to mention him. He's going to get a little bit of an undersized tag, but uh, the guy hits the hole with everything he's got, and I just you can't count out guys with that type of uh, just just poise and and uh, you know no surrender attitude. I, and I and I really like him. If you, I'm sure you can find some of that on inside the pylon, well uh, by Sal, but to, or you can just bother him on Twitter. He usually hits you back, but uh, he's a good guy, and I trust his knowledge, so I just want to throw that name out there. But I also really like Kelvin Taylor, and I'm a little surprised that people aren't giving him a little bit more buzz. Obviously, Fred Taylor's kid, so hopefully, but hopefully he's a little more of a, more healthy throughout his career. Fred always seemed to get hurt at the wrong times there in Jacksonville, but he's another guy that runs with good balance. Fairly decent pass protection and has has nice uh, soft hands, and I'm just a little surprised there's not a lot of people talking about him. But he's not he's not in my top ten, but I, I really think that he could have a, he could have a chance, probably of all the people outside of my top ten, to be an actual three down running back because I just think he he has a lot of good things going for him, and you got to got to love the pedigree there too. So who do you have at number ten there, Dan? All right, so at number ten. I have uh, Arkansas running back Jonathan Williams. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Alex Collins kind of took over for him in 2015 due to the uh, the foot injury. Um, I like uh, I don't like him nearly as much as a lot of people. Uh, I think there's a good chance Jonathan Williams will go undrafted. 
um, which will cause him to fall. I think he is a good staff. Um, ultimately, I like his shake and bake. I really like his early 2014 film. Uh, I cringe when I watch him because he has that up-top running style that I just I cringe at. And I basically, when I see that running style, I always tend to drop my players. You know, it's why I dropped T.J. Yeldon so far down because you never know how that's going to translate. He could be Arian Foster or he could be T.J. Yeldon last year who got his ass kicked, you know. So, it, it just concerns me. He's got great balance. I think he runs a little smaller than his listed 220. He definitely sets up his blocks well. Very effective getting north and south, which I really like. Look for in a running back. Good receiving back. Uh, tracks the ball well. Um, you know, ultimately, I think his home is as a backup where he could find moments of relevancy due to injuries. I think he ends up, if he can come back from that foot, and resume, because even the back half of 2014 was very blah for me watching him. Um, but the early part, if you, you know, if you get into some of his early tape in 2014, I mean, there's definitely some wow factor there. So it's a big if because I have to see it at the next level. I have to see him before I'm going to feel good about it one way or the other. Um, so for that, I keep him at the bottom of my list. Yeah, I totally hear your concern with the upright running style. I actually have him a little bit higher, so I'll get to him in a second. But, uh, you know, another guy that has that same type of upright running style is Darren McFadden. And, uh, you know, you mentioned yep. Arian Foster, who's certainly been a very good back in his time. But both of those guys, what do they have in common? The injury history. So they get that's their ass that comes al- yep. Yeah, that's something that comes <laughs> along with that style and does not really give you a longevity uh, vote with any of those guys. Um Number 10, I have Paul Perkins. I go back. I mean, if you would have asked me last week, I maybe would have had Paul Perkins like five or six. I just – I go back and forth. I mean, I, I, I know what I see, and I see some really good things on film, and I hear a lot of people giving him lots of praises, but I just think he's just limited to really a, a complimentary role. He's definitely like a – you know going to be that off-tackle, slasher, third-down-back type of thing. I just don't think he can carry the full workload. Um, I love his open field burst. Uh, he has a, just a suddenness that you, I just – every time I see him make one of those people miss downfield, I'm just like, wow. But that's the Pac-12. I mean, that's not the NFL. I mean, he he, he does that, Cam Chance is going to take his head off. You know what I mean? He's, if he tries mm. to set a step, those guys, he's just not going to be able to do that at the next level. I mean, let's let's not remember that all these guys that played safety or play safety in the NFL were probably cornerbacks in college. So they, there's a an un, unrivaled speed really coming at you that he has never seen before. Not to mention, you know, linebackers. Everything's bigger in the NFL. Bigger, stronger, faster. I hate to use that little cliche, but it's 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 true with him. So I, as much as I really like him, I just I just don't see him having a huge role other than a third down back there in the NFL. Who do you have at number nine there, Dan? So this will probably piss a lot of people off. Um, <laughs> I have a CG, uh, CJ Procy. No, C- <laughs> CJ Procy, uh, Notre Dame. 
Um, I think people are way too high on CJ Procy. Um, I get the attraction. Don't get me wrong. I mean, anytime you have a, a, a guy who started at wide receiver and running back and had success on a program like Notre Dame, you gotta, you gotta take notice. Um, I think there is a huge part of his game missing, huge. And I challenge anybody who says otherwise to go back and look at his film, and you will see, you will see a inability to make decisions quick, quickly when it comes to inside running. And it's always a huge red flag for me, one of the biggest red flags. That's why I had Sankey as a bust two years ago and Devonta Freeman as my number one overall running back because you have to be able to make a decision quickly in the NFL when you're running in between the tackles. And you have to make it and commit to it and go. And there is massive indecisiveness with C.J. Procy. Now, what do I like about him? Obviously, his receiving skills. And the guy turns the corner on the perimeter as well as anybody I've ever seen. So he's definitely staying in my top ten, but he's an in-betweener. And I have concerns because there's going to be a, a real lack of effectiveness when you're trying to pound the ball and keep defensives honest when you're trying to attack the perimeter. And what we're seeing with Bishop Sankey, you saw the exact same thing. If you go back and look at Sankey's tape, it's an inside run that he tries to bounce to the outside. And because he's so much quicker and nimbler than everybody at the college level, he can get to that corner. He can get to that edge. He cannot do it in the NFL. And C.J. Procy can't either. But the way that guy gets down and turns his corner around the perimeter is really, really nice. To me, he's Charles Sims, nothing more. And that's, you know, his upside personally for me. I could go into the technicalities, but I'm trying to not talk too much. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to really piss you off. You don't see David Johnson in his game at all? What? You don't see David Johnson in his game at all? No, I don't see David Johnson at all. David Johnson, to me, was an absolute power, punishing running back up the middle. I don't yeah, see and it. I, I, if you, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I, I have process a little higher, so we can we can talk about him a little, a little Most bit people later, do have him. Most people do have him a little higher. Um, but, again, as, as this lower part of our top ten, I think a lot of these guys are certainly uh, committee guys. There's maybe, as far as I'm concerned, there's, three, maybe four guys that can be three down guys, um, you know, and my long shot being the Kelvin Taylor outside of my top ten. Number nine, I have Keith Marshall out of uh, out of Georgia. Um, gosh, he looks so much taller than the 5'11", but he's, he's got the 5'11", you know, like 215 pedigree. I really, really like how he runs and where he didn't have a whole lot of success at the college level. You know, he was blocked by – sandwich between Nick Chubb and uh, Todd Gurley. And let's not forget that Keith Marshall was a top, you know, five-star recruit. So, I mean, George is not going to, you know, like, oh, we already have one five-star running back. We're not, we don't need another one for four years. They're going to get as many of those guys as they can. So when they're, uh, you know, unfortunately some people become a victim of the depth chart and um, and Marshall, there's things that he does very well that I think could, could translate for an NFL team. I don't know if that's a three down guy, but uh, you know, a spot starter, certainly. Yes. And uh, uh, you know, that, that change of pace back, I think he can do that. I think he, he obviously blew people away with his, uh, with his combine 40. And if you get him outside in space, he's going to hurt some, hurt some NFL defenses. So that's why 
I got Marshall there at uh, number nine. Who do you have at number eight, Dan? So I'm with you on uh, Paul Perkins. Um, I've had him as high as five or six, and he continues to fall for me. Um, I have Paul Perkins at number eight. Um, you know, I, I wrote, like, skit, scat, skit, and we do, do bop, bop. That's what I think of when I watch him run. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, again, that works in the Pac-10. It doesn't work with Cam Chancellor breathing down your neck. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he sets up, he sets up a good hole. And honestly, I think if it were just him and Cam Chancellor one-on-one, Cam Chancellor would have his hands full. That guy is a tough little guy to catch. And I mean, he's the chicken in Rocky, you know, I mean, you got to catch grease lightning with that kid. And I mean, but he looks awkward at times tracking the ball. Um, I think he lacks, uh, to me, he lacks home run ability. He definitely has that short 20-yard burst that you're looking for, but he definitely lacks the long speed that I'm looking for out of my running back, or at least field speed. His 40 time was fine, but I don't see it translate on long runs in the NFL. Ultimately, he's got the shady Mason Sankey vibe for me, and honestly, he could be any one of them at the next level. I tend to lean Mason. If he's lucky, you know, he won't have Todd Gurley in front of him. He could rise in the rankings post-draft, but unlikely higher than six for me. Yeah, and and I think why he gets a lot of respect is he does he does have good hands. He can catch out of the backfield and. People see that in the in this world, this PPR world that we live in, as as a nice attribute. You know, look at look at how long it took for a guy like Darren Sproles to break through, and then look at that those three or four year span where he was just a third running back essentially, and, and you know putting up top fifteen fantasy numbers. So that's I mean everybody's looking always looking for that next type of player like that. Um, number eight, I have Jordan Howard now. I asked Bill about Jordan Howard on our on our wide receiver podcast yesterday, just because I'm in mocks with Bill, and I noticed I noticed the trends that he tends to tends to follow, and he is he loves this guy. He thinks he could actually be a decent receiver out of the backfield. Um, an absolutely punishing runner, UAB transfer went to Indiana last year. Had a decent offensive line that was set up to make uh, Tevin Coleman look successful, and uh, Howard did good. You know, one thing. That surprised the heck out of me. I watched four games on Howard, and I thought just based on what I was watching, I thought there's no way he has a great yards per carry average, and I was way wrong. It was like it's like five seven on his career, and one I think one year at UAB it was over six. So I don't I don't know why I got that feeling, but I just I but the fact that he's able to go between the tackles on a consistent basis and gain yardage, which you know he. One thing I really like about running backs is when, even when they're down in games or when they get the ball and they know they're going to have to fight like hell to get even positive yardage, even if it's just one yarded yard, they do that. You don't see them, you know, fall on their butt or just, you know, turtle turtle on the ground. He, you, you see him get get a handoff up the middle. And you know there's no way to go, but the play still lasts like three or four more seconds, and he gains two yards. So a guy, a guy that's able to just continue to to keep his legs charging and going because he's six foot two thirty, and fall forward and get extra yards. I really like that about him. I just don't know if he's a if he's going to be uh, anything more than a short yardage goal line back though at the NFL. And if he, if he proves to have soft hands, 
and and Bill is right. He could be a home run for you, you know, at the end of the second round of your rookie draft. But uh, I, I'm just not completely sold on on Jordan Howard there. Uh, who do you have at number Bill, seven there? Uh, Bill loves his Indiana running backs, for the record. Um, <laughs> I have uh, Devontae Booker at uh, number seven. Um, obviously, still a big name. Um, most have him higher than number seven. Uh, I could make an argument maybe to slide him up a little bit, and I think um, you you will definitely argue I should uh, after you hear a couple people I have ahead of him. Uh, I like his leadership. I like his professionalism. He's a team captain. He's definitely an all-around really good running back, very crafty uh, in the sense that he gets a lot of hidden yardage from his spin moves to uh, he's got a very deceptive stride. So he covers a lot of uh, ground, really mean stiff arm. Um, so he picks up a lot of that hidden yardage that doesn't always, you know, that you don't always pay attention to or see on tape, uh, but it shows up on the stat sheet. Solid blocker, really good at scan, you know, situations and pass protection and play action. Um, blessed with very soft hands in the passing game. Uh, the big ones are the dude's turning 24 this month, if he hasn't already. I, don't, I know it's a May birthday, but um, and he had a nasty torn left meniscus. He's also a high runner. So, you know, here comes the Arian Foster comparisons again. Uh, he carries mm-hmm. his, you know, he, he, he's, got, he's very left-hand dominant. Um, so he has a tendency, I think in 2014, he lost six fumbles, three more in 2015. Um, that's just a really good combination of you ain't going any higher than seven on my rankings because you're up top, you got an injury history already, you got fumbling issues, and at the NFL, you're going to get hit harder and more often, and teams are going to be keying in on those weaknesses. So I would love to see, you know, throw in the fact that the dude's two or three years older than your, you know, than your average rookie running back that you're drafting, and he's just not a guy I'm going to risk my draft pick on, essentially, although I do think he has a lot of potential. Yeah, I actually see a little Tiki Barber in him, even even because of the fumbling issues, you know, because the issues that Tiki had early on in his career. Um, but uh, I, I guess I can't I, – I guess I had no idea how old he was. I'm going to have to second-guess my ranking. But, yeah, the, the meniscus <laughs> is something you just can't overlook. Uh, but, again, yep. he is a uh, you know a good two-way back, too. And I know one of our yeah. other rookie rakers, Mike Kraffick, has been in my ear about him since, like, October, so he's been studying him a lot. The knee, yeah, the, but the knee is definitely devastating. Uh, but one thing to look at, you know, if he's if he's a guy that maybe goes, you know, like in the fourth or fifth round and doesn't really get onto a field this year, I mean, maybe may down the road he's a, he's a buy low candidate because because of the draft pedigree uh, for you and the real NFL team, I think he could certainly. Uh, be a guy if, yeah. if he's given time to get fully healthy, he could be a, an absolute steal for somebody. But I, I, I to, totally have no problem with you ranking him right there. I think this middle cluster of guys, it's, it's kind of a kind of a, a dice thrill there. I'm, sure, I'm not sure what that meant, but uh, that's just kind of how I feel about him. Uh, number seven, I have Jonathan Williams. Um, I, I I I agree with a lot of what you said about him, uh, but I just think he. And, and depending again on how that foot recovers, 
I think he will be, if he gets drafted, he will be so grateful. And I know that's not a fantasy attribute, but he will be so grateful and ready to prove that team that he belongs in the NFL. And I think he's, he's a strong runner. He can, he can do a lot of great things. I can, you know, when you have a guy that can go between the tackles and uh, off tackle and, and catch the ball, those, those are three big boxes to check in my, on my board. So I, I, I love that about him. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of with the Arkansas team that always seems to produce really high-volume yardage running backs. Um, uh, but I actually don't think that's the case with these two. I think, I think both of these Arkansas running backs could be very good in a role. I don't know if they're three-down backs again, but in a role I think they could be very good. Uh, who do you got number six? I got his uh, teammate and replacement, Alex Collins, uh, at number six. Um, I I really like the way the kid runs. I think he's got some limitations. Um, I think his hips are much stiffer than I would like to see in a running back, but his footwork is unbelievable. Um, I can't get over watching this kid move his feet in a in an up the gut run the control that he has and those subtle movements are fascinating to me. I mean, I, I hate to use that word cause I'm talking about feet, you know, sounds like I got a fetish <laughs> here, but I'm, you know, but I do with this guy, his feet are absolutely amazing. I think he's the better back hands down at the next level. Um, the guy is totally dedicated to his uh, craft. He dropped 10, to- uh, 10 pounds this year to gain more elusiveness. He looks like Eddie Lacey should look, after Lacey drops the donuts and 25 pounds. Um, lethal jump cut, short yardage burst is really good, effective in pass protection. Um, he's a really nice size back. Um, I think he could develop into a true three-down back. Um, he does need to improve a little bit in pass pro, but it's not bad. I like his ability to get skinny. Um, if you look at his touchdown run versus Kansas uh, Kansas State, he really has an ability to kind of shrink up, and that's impressive for a back who looks as big as he does when he's running. I think he has the potential to be a gem. Well, we have one in agreement because I also have Collins at number six. Um, nice. And I feel like he could be he could be really in that you know three or four conversation. Uh, if he showed us just a little bit that he could catch the ball out of the backfield. You don't see that. A little more, like yep. A, yeah, like 11 or 12 college receptions. I, and, but I think he is also like one of three running backs to have like three straight 1,000-yard seasons in the SEC or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But some something similar to that is like him, Herschel Walker, and Bo Jackson or some crazy stat like that. Um, and that's, you know, that's a conference when you're getting over a thousand yards consistently every year, that's certainly something to uh, pay attention to. He's a, a hard, angry runner. I think he's getting a lot of um, Marshawn Lynch comparisons. I don't know if that's the, the, if the dreads add to that at all, but uh, I, he mm-hmm. obviously doesn't run as low as, as Marshawn. He's a much, a much bigger kid than Marshawn. Uh, but uh, I love, I love the fact that he does, he does, you know, take it, Take it uh, between the tackles, between the guards. He he can do he can do a lot of that, but he can also you know get creative uh, in space, like you said, get skinny and and uh, just get that extra yardage. Um, 
this is a, another guy with another thing with him is if he gets in a great situation, you know, if he gets drafted by a team that you know is going to have to use him in the first year, he could, he could vault up my board because I just think if he gets that opportunity, even if he's go, even if he goes to like uh, Dallas and those two old guys get hurt, you want Alex Collins on your roster because even if those two old guys don't get hurt, they're not going to be there for the next three or four years. You know, uh, they're both going to be going to be gone and he could certainly uh prosper uh with that offensive line but uh yeah i i, I like collins a lot and i think he could jump right up my board uh number five who do you have there dan i have keith martha marshall from georgia at number five um who is another one of my sleepers and one of the few running backs that i feel has truly elite potential in this class um and again so much of my initial scouting this is this is pure talent. I mean, situation and opportunity changes all of these factors here in less than in basically a week's time here. Um, but what I've learned more and more every year is to stick to my guns in terms of talent. There's a lot unknown about Keith Marshall. Um, like you said, he's been shrouded by talent. I, I, I mean, you can't fault the kid for getting losing his job to injury and having Todd Gurley come in and replace him and then having Nick Chubb slide in right behind him while he's still dealing with some injuries. Obviously, the kid has some injury issues, and you see that a lot when you can see a running back like him with his size lay down 4-3, 40 feet. It happens all the time. There's so much pressure put on those knees, on those ankles, on those when you're running that fast and cutting on a dime that you're always going to have to worry about injury. That's why I can't go higher than five on Keith Marshall. Um, you know, great. He has completely underrated ball skills as a receiver, very deceptive power. Um, but when he runs, he runs like an Italian sports car. Subtle hit movements. He's good up the middle. Um, he's going to need to improve as a blocker, which is a concern for me. Maybe that's just because of his lack of playing time. He's one of those guys that because of the lack of tape on him and because he has been so hidden, you have to, I, I recommend people actually go and watch his highlights. And again, I, you know me, I'm not one to say, Hey, go watch their highlight. Everyone looks good in a highlight film. This guy doesn't look good in his highlight film. He looks otherworldly. Like, completely otherworldly like this is why georgia recruits running backs like this you know and and i just absolutely love the kid as a sleeper i think there's a lot unknown so i think he is going to fall his combine performance should pull him up into that third or fourth round now um teams are going to fall in love with his athleticism but there's a catch on his highlight reel about a minute and a half in down the sideline where he does a complete 360, retracts the ball, makes an incredible play, and it's like you can't teach that. You cannot teach that. That kid is gifted. So that's what I got. Okay. And um, um, I'm trying to remember. There's another George – oh, Terrell Davis. There's another Georgia running back who – was completely hidden in college. I think he actually was yeah. asked to play fullback just so he and he agreed just so he could get his butt on the field. And yeah, I think he only had like you know probably a couple couple 
maybe just over 200 carries at the at the college level with George after he transferred from Long Beach State. So, you know, that's a guy that was probably hidden by some really good backs, but when he got a shot in the NFL, he was a very solid player. And I think I'm not saying Marshall's going to run for 2,000 yards, but you, you'll see you'll see what uh, we'll see what he has when he gets the uh, opportunity there. Um, and just to, to add to your thoughts about uh, when you have a running back with that kind of 40 time, uh, you know, what the, what endure, what their legs endure, even just cutting and, and juking and whatnot is, uh, it always opens them up to injury. And, but when they get hit, those collisions are just that much more violent because they're that that's much right. faster. So that's, that's, that's right. just not a good thing. Um, uh, speaking of fast guys off the edge, uh, I have CJ ProSize number five. I, I know that's probably high, but and, and I do see the limitations. But we're entering, you know, this is probably the last of the guys that I don't think could be a three-down back. Um, but I think he could be just an excellent, excellent complementary back for any offense. You know, even if he's not anywhere near what David Johnson does, if he can be David Johnson's backup, if he can do some of the things. If he could just go there and learn from David Johnson and learn from Bruce Arians in that offense, I think that would be huge. I just think there is certainly a role for these taller kind of lankier running backs now. As we we tended to go away from it for so long, um, after you know after guys like Marcus Allen were extremely successful, then we got the uh, Ladainian Tomlinson of the world who were five ten, two twenty, and everybody wanted those guys for years. And who can blame them if you can get the next LT? Uh, who, who who doesn't want that? But uh, I think in the NFL right now, having a diverse style of people at the same position is so important. And I and I steal that mm-hmm. line from Coach Brian Billick, but I think that is so important. And ProSize certainly has a role, even if it is like a a Charles Sims to uh, Doug Martin yep. role in Tampa. That that would be that would be just fine. I mean, I think Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman are the same style, the same kind of build of running back, maybe not the same style, but they're very similarly built. So if they had that, that option of a guy that they can, you know, move in. And when you have a guy like ProSize or like a David Johnson, if you have to audible at the line, which NFL teams obviously do very often, you can split him out wide and feel comfortable that he's going to know what to do and how to run that route. So, I just think his his versatility in that aspect is going to help him uh, get drafted. That's and again, landing spots huge for him. If, if he gets gets onto the field, we'll see what we'll see what he's made of. And I think he has a huge bust uh, chance to bust too. And and I and I would not be surprised if that happens. But I just think I think he's got certainly has some things that he can contribute. Well, I mean, you nailed. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a Charles Sims type role when we're talking about this running back class at this position. You're talking, you know, probably a mid second round pick here, maybe early at the latest at the, you know, earliest. Um, And again, draft positional flex, you know, determine that. But if you can find a guy who's going to catch 60 balls and get another 150 carries, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't say Charles Sims, like, you know, you suck. I say Charles Sims as I'm not seeing David Johnson, you know, so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And, and so, you know, I just, I've, I've seen a lot of pro C love lately. And I think, uh, you know, people, I just want to make sure people are, you know, at least the ones who subscribe to DFW 
understand, you know, the full scope of where this guy could or could not be because it's really, really easy to fall in love with upside. So, yeah. And we know that scope's wide as you, you have him, nine, and I have him five. Um, and another comparison, yep. if you want if you want more to think about on him, is Fred Jackson. I don't think he's the running back Fred sure. Jackson was, but if you, if you can have a guy that, like Dan says, get 60 balls or can contribute, you know, three to five receptions per game. That's, that's fantasy value that you ha- you can count on. That's, you know, it's, you know, it's yep. a guy that's not going to go out there and lay an egg. And that's, that's something right. that you want to have with the running back position. Um, yep. Before we forget, I forgot one other sleeper that I wanted to mention. And this is deep. I mean, this is like maybe not going to get drafted, but I cannot get Get stop watching Devin Marshall film from, or excuse me, Devin Johnson film from Marshall. Uh, uh, mm, I don't even think I've watched him. Yeah, uh, he's a huge running back, and of course you're going to have the the bad the bad competition. He's like six two two forty something like that. Former tight end. They tried him at running back a couple of years ago. Devin Just Johnson blew people away. Devin Johnson, yeah. Marshall University. Yeah, nobody could stop okay. the kid. And got hurt last year, had some back issues, and only played like half of the season, wow. but he still had like five, 600 yards. Um, Holy crap. Really liked the, the dude's a linebacker. Yeah. And that's the thing is nobody can nobody can take him down in that conference. And, you know, I mean, do you see Natron Means in there at all, Dan? I mean, just a, <laughs> just a, guy, just a guy that punishes people. And I don't think he's a three-down back. I see a 7-Eleven cooler. In there, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's there's a role for that guy. So I I I just think if he gets a shot, he could you know even if it's I, I think there's Jacobs, multiple roles for, for him. I, yeah, yeah. I think he could be a linebacker, a tight end, a fullback, a running back. I mean, if he's got that kind of athleticism, yeah. you know. Sure. And he and he um he also has uh, the tight end in his pedigree, so he can catch the ball too. And there 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 is play there's I wish I could remember what game it was. I'm sure there's a highlight just on YouTube, but there's a game where he catches just like a little uh, delayed screen pass and makes about seven moves to the to get 20 yards and gets in the end zone. It's it's just a phenomenal play by such a, a huge man. So not in my top ten, but I wanted to mention him before we just in case I forgot later on. So uh, where were we? I think you're number four, Dan. So it took everything I had not to jump in when you mentioned him as one of your sleepers because I have him at number four, and I would just like to say that Sal Conti knows his shit. He's an awesome yeah. kid <laughs> who studies harder than anybody I know. He was one of the first writers at DFW when he was 16 years old. And, mm. I mean, this was a kid I specifically took under my wing, and we went through writing style. We went through everything. And this was, the, he had already had a blog by the time I contact, when we got contact with. I wrote letters of recommendation mm. for this kid. I think extraordinarily highly of him, and he's far more knowledgeable about the X's and O's of this game than I will ever be ever in my life. So if you're not following him or paying attention to what the guy is talking about, you need to go find that guy and follow him and give him some love because he will lead you down the right direction. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, he's like 19, 20 years old right now, and he's a, currently a college yeah. offensive line coach. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
Yes. So, the yeah. kid is going places. He knows where he wants to go, and he is completely dedicated to his craft. It will not be surprising to me if I'm hitting him up for NFL game day tickets sometime down the road when I'm older and saying, mm-hmm. hey, remember me? You know, um, he has a clear he has a clear vision of who he is and where he wants to go, and I think it's awesome. So I already I didn't know that he loved Irving so bad. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say I already asked him. I I just I just hope when he gets that NFL coaching job that he can make the staff here at DFW their scouting staff. Cause I just I just exactly. hope he can write well, you know, before he went to his scouting school, I was trying to get him to do a video article called Coach Sal's Corner, um, where he's breaking down X's and O's, and he kind of does that. He's got some YouTube stuff, and he does that um, with some other people now. I've kind of lost track of him a little bit, but. Uh, um, you know, my, my number four ranked running back is Tyler Irving from San Jose. And I think, I think the kid is absolutely special. I think he's Percy Harvin without the attitude and the prima donna. I think there's nothing this kid truly can't do. Um, yeah, he's undersized. He's 5'10". He's 192 pounds, which is why nobody's talking about him at all. You know, and and it's why people dismiss him. Because why? Because he's not 215 pounds. All right, we got five, ten, 195 wide rece- pound wide receivers that are catching 125 balls a game, and this guy is capable of catching 100. Easy. Not to mention, he's arguably one of the top two or three inside runners in this entire class. Um, his burst is the best in the class. His ability to punish up the middle. I could, other than Elliott, I could, and, and maybe, you know, um, uh, maybe Derrick Henry, I could put, you know, I could put him right there. I think he is going to be drafted by a team, if we're lucky, that sees him as a Percy Harvin and uses him the way Percy Harvin was ever always supposed to be meant to be used, which was early in like, I can't remember the year. Um, it was his. I mean, he was on pace to be an MVP in Minnesota before he got hurt. Mm. There's always going to be a concern with injury, and certainly if he becomes that good, they're going to use him enough where injury is going to be a concern. It's the NFL. But what I'm looking for out of my running backs is how are these people going to be used at the next level? That's why I've had success in the last three years, and I'll put my rankings up against anybody out there, is I have a good imagination, and I can imagine what this person's role will be at the next level and how I would use them if I was coordinating an offense. This guy is an offensive coordinator's wet dream, period. period. <laughs> and there's nothing you, he can do. He's going to start as a kick returner. He's completely fearless. He's going to start as a punt returner. He's completely fearless there, too. He's going to explode and make some huge plays, which is going to get him some gimmicky stuff early on as a rookie, kind of like Tyler Lockett. He's going to get put out on routes. He's going to be in weird packages here or there. And then they're going to start subbing him in as a running back. And they're going to start doing end arounds and misdirection plays and this kind of stuff. And the guy is going to just tear up defenses until the offensive coordinator, if they're lucky, and again, this is going to take a good offensive coordinator, just makes him an absolute lethal weapon 
in the NFL. And I think this kid has everything necessary to be that lethal weapon. He's somebody who should go in the first round, in my opinion, of this draft. I don't see enough talent in this class to justify taking maybe 10 people before him. I see him as about 110, 111, 112 range for me value-wise. I will scoop him up any later than that all day in this draft. Okay. Um, 5'10", 39-inch vertical on that kid. Uh, 103, or excuse me, 130 on the broad jump. I mean, that's that's pretty phenomenal numbers there out of the uh, out of a five ten hundred ninety two guy, I mean that's that's leg explosion when you when you see that out. Yeah. So, I mean he's not going to be a three down range. back. Yeah, he's not going to be a three down back. We can rule that out right now. He's a pass pro liability, so they're going to have to use him creatively. You know, he's going to be able to chip. Every block's going to be going low. He's going to get pushed back into the quarterback if they try to, you know, if he tries to take on a linebacker up the middle. So. I mean, there's limitations to this guy, but that's not his game. That's not how they're going to use him. And I just see in this class, okay, so he's not a traditional running back. But, yeah, he could catch 75, 80 balls quite easily. He is the guy who will get 150 carries and, you know, 75 receptions and be used all over the field. Ultimately, is he somebody that I'm going to start as my running back one? No. Is he someone I'm going to flex every single week? Probably. That's how I see him. Uh, but and I think the thing with him too is he also could be Doug Martin with better hands, don't you think? I mean that could right. yeah. I mean he's maybe doesn't have that same low center of gravity, but he he can he can do do things that people that size shouldn't be able to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I yeah I like that, and I'll I'll have to uh, maybe readjust my rankings. Uh, my number four is somebody we already talked about, and that's Devontae Booker. And again, that's just the big what if factor. I just think there's so there's so much that he can give to an NFL team if he comes back, back past that torn meniscus, if he comes out of it okay and is able to get on the field and share, you know, just share what he's actually capable of. He he, he could run, he can catch, he can he can go inside, he can go outside, and. Uh, It'd be really interesting to see where a lot of people had him going if he didn't hurt his knee this year. I think he would be end of end of the first round talent. I think a lot of people would maybe even like him over Derrick Henry at this point because that he just brings so much to the table. And again, it's a huge what if. It's a it's a big gamble to take him, but uh, I, I if if it pays off, we're, you'll you'll all just be so so happy. I think so. I, I, that's why I have Booker that high. Who do you have there at uh, number three? I have uh, Kenneth Dixon, Louisiana Tech, at my number three. Um, You know, insert any comp here. I mean, Doug Martin, um, Jay Ajayi, you know, AJ Ajayi, um, you know, he's just a really well-balanced running back. Um, Smaller school standout. I really like his elusiveness. It can get in his way too much. Um, He looks like Shady to me a little bit. Um, really good, smooth out of the backfield. Um, I love his angles on his cutbacks, really gets aggressive, um, really aggressive low cuts. Um, it's, it's, that's kind of what 
turned me on about him is how low he gets to the ground. Um, it concerns me a little bit only because he's putting so much pressure on those joints that I feel like he's just an ACL waiting to happen. Um, but he has fantastic hips, not a blazer, but knows how to use his speed. And he has very good use of angles. So when we talk about those things, those are the type of things that show up on tape as what I feel people refer to as field speed. And that's the stuff you can't overlook, you know. So when you see a 4.58 or a 4.62, 40, we're talking about milliseconds here. You know, people get so hung up on these numbers. How do they carry their path, right? Because that deception is so important on the football field, and I feel like he has really, really great field instincts. He's always engaged. Um, one thing that I've noticed is he's probably the best at reading cutback lanes in this entire draft, which is a huge attribute, especially at the NFL. That tells me that he's running at a speed in college that he's already ready for at the NFL because he's noticing his cutback lanes. If you watch it really closely and slow down the video and you watch some of his cutback runs, the guy sees it before it opens up, which is huge. You rarely ever see that with a running back. So, especially college, and they have to adjust to it at the NFL level. So to me, Kenneth Dixon has an advantage there because it shows me that his vision and anticipation is already where it needs to be at that NFL level. So, you know, he, he's got some immaturity to him. Uh, he had two unsportsmanlike penalties in the Louisiana Lafayette game and got ejected, but he's got a nose for the end zone. And, uh, you know, I'm just worried about his outside kind of ability at the next level. I think he's going to be a solid, solid back. I'll be surprised if he's not pushing for a starting position at some point during the 2016 season. Um, I think he's solid. It's just a matter of, you know, you know, I don't know. Draft position is going to, you know, draft spot's going to tell me a lot about Kenneth Dixon, but I like him. I, I could even put him above – you know, I could even put him above my number two. So, and I might. Yeah, I, I'm i sure people that listen to the Pulse regularly know I absolutely love Dixon. I just think the fact, again, like, what hits him with Booker is he can he can do it all. I mean, there there is nothing he can't do in terms of what what he's going to be asked at the NFL level. You know, uh, I totally see the cutback thing. Uh, I think probably the best pass catcher of this entire class. I mean, he catches a touchdown pass in their bowl game this year where he has the presence of mind to, to you know, get both feet inbound. And you see the replay, and you're just like, there is no way he got his feet inbound. But until you see the replay, that is. And it's just, just phenomenal stuff. I just cannot get over that play in particular. Just his presence of mind and the fact that he's able to do that, um, you know, People talk about the the, the the level of competition with him too, and, and I and I hear that concern, but I just you just you just gotta let him let him fly and just see what happens. And I think NFL teams that take him, he's going to be a second round pick. I will be shocked if he just get picked in the second round. But a team that picks him is going to use him, and he's going even if he has to sit behind like a Matt Forte with the Jets for a year, he's going to be when he is ready to rock he you want him on your fantasy roster with three after dynasty he's just he there's so much there that i just do not see him falling flat on his face at all unless you know unless he has a catastrophic injury i just cannot see 
Dixon. I think he's a sure a surefire prospect that's going to contribute at a very high level, and I, I absolutely love him. I, I feel like I should have him ranked higher than two. Um, but uh, that's that's who my number three is there too. So we agreed on two, um, two people: Alex Collins six and uh, Kenneth Dixon three. Maybe I'm I'm assuming we're going to agree on number two unless you got totally crazy. No, no, we'll we'll agree from here on out. I'm sure. And and honestly, I I hate ranking Derrick Henry number two. I mean, I really do. I I don't know what I just there's just something about the guy. I mean, call it Alabama, call it the offensive line and the holes the guy's running through, or his lack of lateral ability, and just such a niche back to me. But the guy is an absolute freaking beast, you know, and. And the NFL hasn't seen a back like this in a very long time. Um, I certainly have concerns about the amount of room he had to run at Bama, and we've seen this time and time again. You don't get running lanes like that in the NFL. They don't exist. So how is that going to, you know, how is that going to translate? To me, there is no running back in this draft more reliant on draft position and location, you know, than Derrick Henry. I would love to see him in Dallas or in his own blocking scheme. The guy needs to make one cut and get upfield. Defenses are going to force this guy to go lateral and neutralize his power and his surprising speed for a back his size, Um, his surprising burst, I should say. You know, I really – one of my favorite things about Derrick Henry, and I think this is where he helps himself a ton at Bama, is he has this subtle head fake on misdirection runs that will translate extremely well at the next level. So those counters where you get going right and you cut back left, he has this really subtle upper body head fake. And because he's so big, you see the defense react to it, and it opens up that cutback lane like nobody's business. And I really like that subtle head bob of his. Um, And uh, it's one of those things like, um, oh, God, who was the – I'm forgetting it. I'll move on. Um, but, uh, Earl Campbell. you know, report, yeah, he reportedly the hardest working player on the team. Um, I love that. I love character guys. I love hard workers. Another reason why I love Freeman is he's a team guy. He's a, I'm going to go prove everybody wrong every single run, every single time I touch the ball. And if Henry has any of that at six, two, 230 pounds, Forget about it. I'm good with him being number two. Forget what I said earlier. <laughs> um, so just I feel like we should mention him just because neither one of us are apparently are. But what what about Keon Drake? His his uh his uh Kenny yep. wish, almost wishbone partner there at uh at Alabama. What do you think? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I got like currently I have him at number. Yeah, currently I have him number 11, and I'm certainly keeping an eye on Kenyon Drake. Um, you know, I uh, I don't know what to say about him. I mean, honestly, I wasn't really prepared to talk about him today, to be honest with you. So you can give me your thoughts. But, uh, you know, any time you got a running back coming out of Alabama, I mean, he's kind of like Keith Marshall in a way in the sense that he got hidden behind a lot of great backs, you know, college backs, let's say. But the difference is, is these Georgia running backs are translating. Todd Gurley is potentially an elite, elite all-time NFL running back. He has that type of upside. 
we can't say that about Lacey or Trent Richardson, you know, or even, you know, Mark Ingram, right? These guys do not have that upside. So the difference for me is you're hiding behind those backs versus Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb, who everyone and their mom will tell you is an elite NFL running back, assuming he comes back, you know? So these are, these are just extra special talents in Georgia versus Alabama and their, you know, Alabama moving company up front. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just feel like a lot of, I wanted to mention him because I feel like a lot of people are, are too high on him. And I just, I think he's projects at best a third down back. But he can't pass protect. I mean, even even if he has to face an old guy like Julius Peppers, I mean, he's just going to curl on the floor fetal style. I mean, he's, what is he supposed to do if he's if mm-hmm. he's supposed to be a third down back and he can't pass protect? So I may and maybe he needs to be transferred to a, to the to the wide receiver position. I've seen him split out wide and make some really good plays. I just don't think he's an NFL running back. So I mean, I have him ranked just because I think he certainly has attributes. You have to be somewhat of a decent runner to be to be considered to play at Alabama. So he's got something there, but I I just not not totally sold him. Just surprised so many people have him high. People that I respect have him higher than than that he should be. So I also have Duke no, I, number two. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. We're we're running up on it here. Sorry. I also have Derrick Henry number two, and I don't uh, I don't question anybody for questioning him i just think you just got to let him let him play until we start you know burying him with the with the crimson tide soil i mean he's he's just yep. so big and so strong and you know i mentioned earl campbell earlier i mean if you don't know who that is if you're, if you're 20 25 years old and don't know who earl campbell is just find some kind of video on him and this is you'll see that same type of stuff from derrick henry um you know, people are worried about the, uh, you know, the 10-yard split and the fact that he takes a little bit of time to get going. I hear that concern, and he's not a perfect prospect by any means, uh, but he, he's, he's got so much power. And I've seen some safeties take him down on the open field, you know, knock him back in the open field. So he's not, he's not you know, high landed. He's not immortal. But I just, you just got to let him fly and Obviously, landing spot, like you said, is huge for him. Um, but uh, until he falls flat on his face, I will still be a fan of Derrick Henry. So I, I like him a lot. So we're at number one, Dan, with a couple minutes left. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we really need to say a whole lot about Ezekiel Elliott. Nah. But, uh, uh, nah. I mean, he's, you, have you just mentioned. Pick of your rookie draft. There you go. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, he's he's number one. Uh, he's my 1.01. Um, I don't think it's that close uh, right now. Um, you know, you mentioned that Derrick Henry is, you know, not the perfect prospect, you know, by any means. I think Ezekiel mm-hmm. Elliott is the perfect prospect. I mean, I don't necessarily think he's Todd Gurley perfect, but as far as a prospect goes, as far as an NFL running back prospect, someone you want to draft, he's a perfect prospect. There's nothing the kid can't do and do extremely well. And probably as well or better than anyone in this class, almost at every measurable attribute from blocking to receiving to running, inside, outside, upside down. Um, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. 
the, the, I I don't really have anything to bash him on. So if I did, yeah. I would. It would be it would be it would be truly nitpicking and just for the purpose of debate and 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 argument. And I just don't. I don't think there's any debate in this class. So I'm not going to put it out there. Um, I totally agree. He's not Todd Gurley, but he's the best in this class. You know, people always want to say, well, how does he stock, stack up against Todd Gurley or, so, you know, uh, somebody from another class? He's not, they're not in that same class. They're in a different class, yep. Liter- yep. you know, literally and physically. He's the best running back yep. in this class, and there's really not much else to say. He does absolutely everything extremely well. My only, my only criticism, and this is totally peeling apart the layers, is I've seen him run away from contact a lot of times when they're playing lower-level competition. And you know what? This kid is a, is a kid that's playing for free, hasn't made any money yet, so you can toss that's that right. idea out the window. I mean, he wants that's to right. be healthy. He's not going to let some punk Akron Zip running back destroy his knee and cost him millions of dollars. That's right. You got it. So he, I'm glad I mean, you said it because I would have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're going to say Toledo, not Akron. But anyway, um, yeah, I just feel like, <laughs> yeah, if you have that for a silver, I'll pick and you, you're questioning it. Uh, yeah. You just need to take it. You just, even, yep. even if you don't think your team's a playoff team the next couple of years, he's, he's a guy that's going to be around for a long time and he's going to get, 1200 to 1500 yards every year and you're just going to you're just going to punch it in and know that you have that every single year. So yeah. He's he's not elite elite best, you know, top 10 running backs of all time, but he's certainly a very good prospect that you're not going to be upset with. And obviously barring a, a huge injury and I don't mean to wish ill on anybody, but that's always always a possibility with these running backs. You know that's a huge thing. So. Well, Dan, right you did it. I can I continue just a minute over. I don't know how I did it. Yeah, I uh, I think that's amazing for me, dude, <laughs> for us. I mean, that's borderline miracle. So, okay. <laughs> so, you've got you've got some varying varying opinions on some backs and some big some big uh, scopes from some other players. Um remember Devin Johnson if he gets drafted in the 7th round. Uh Yeah, I'm going to take a I peek at you, him. I sent you uh, that highlight reel uh on on Twitter just now, Dan. It's about 50 seconds in of him making making this little uh, delayed screen catch and just just busting it and flying in the end zone. So, yeah, enjoy that. So, nice. Thank you very Will much do. for joining me, uh, Dan Hines. Everybody, you know him, you love him, and you know you're going to hear him very soon here on the Dynasty Pulse. So thanks, buddy. All right, thanks, bud. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the regular Dynasty Pulse podcast here as we uh, uh, go forward with our regular scheduled programming to make it sound really technical. Um, that was uh, me and Dan Hines talking about uh, the top 10 running backs here this class. Me and Bill Servey did the wide receivers yesterday, so if you missed that, 
Uh, make sure you go back and check that out. But now I've got my main man, the man who's always with me. Um, it's Hans Wagner. Sorry, one second here. Um, I'm having some computer issues. Uh, just trying to click Nick through. There we go. There we go. Nick, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me, Josh? Okay. Yes, I can. That was not your fault. That was my fault. But uh, welcome to the regular scheduled Dynasty Pulse. Uh, hope you hope you enjoyed me and Dan there talking a little bit. We only went a couple minutes over. Oh, yeah, great stuff. But I, I do got to say, Josh, I'm pretty stressed out today. I mean, as a Josh Gordon owner on 420, like, is he going to be able to resist the temptation? <laughs> you know, I almost feel like I need to celebrate just because I'm so stressed out about whether or not he's going to celebrate. How are you doing? Oh, <laughs> uh, how did me or Dan not even bring up 420 at all? Um, yeah, that's a valid concern. Let's just hope he's not in the Johnny Manziel's. Him and Johnny Manziel aren't in the same city, I guess we could say. Um, but uh, I'm. I'm doing great. I'm very happy to bring you guys the uh, a huge three-hour show today. I mean, I, I don't think we, it might not last three hours. I mean, I did contain Dan to an hour, uh, which was impressive. But uh, this is a regular scheduled pulse. Like I said last week, we ended our team uh, division by division uh, off-season kind of program there, and we've now ended all of our pro- pre-draft prospect shows. Uh, the draft is next week. Next week we got to. Jeff Lloyd more than likely coming back just to kind of talk about what we're what we're going to see with the upcoming draft uh, on the regular scheduled show on Wednesday. So make sure you check that out. Uh, the following week we're going to get right back into it with the post draft coverage, position by position, uh, on May the fourth with wide receivers. So make sure you check that out. But today we want to talk about um, orphan team strategies. If uh, and we have some. Obviously, some other things that we bring to you from time to time with Dynasty Trade Analysis. Kick Josh out of the war room. I have an amazing trivia question for Nick, and I even gave him a clue this week so he could study. I hope you studied. Uh, but uh, first and foremost, we have a Dynasty Dilemma, and I thought what, what else would be a great dilemma than then to talk about the potential decision that Cleve, or excuse me, the St. Louis Rams, the St. Louis Rams, the Los Angeles Rams are trying to make nowadays as we pit Carson Wentz versus Jared Goff. Nick had the chance to choose, so he will go first, and I'm going to play the long clip so I can catch my breath. since we don't really know the landing spots yet, but barring any more trades, it's looking like the Rams and Browns are each going to get one of these guys. That feels like kind of a push to me as far as where they're going to wind up. Now, if a more talented team like Philadelphia were to trade up to number two, then I would go with whichever quarterback fell to that uh, more talented roster. But if things remain the same, I do think that Carson Wentz offers more upside and long-term potential than Jared Goff does, regardless of which one goes to Cleveland and uh and Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, despite playing at the small school, I think Carson Wentz also could be more pro-ready as well. 
you know, as Jared Goff played in one of those gimmicky Pac-12 offenses, well, Wentz actually took snaps from under center. You know, I almost thought the NCAA had outlawed that, so few teams do it anymore. So while most rookie <laughs> quarterbacks have to be taught the mechanics of the three and the five and the seven-step drops, Carson Wentz can bypass at least some of those lessons and just get right into the playbook. Uh, Wentz also has the edge in arm strength and size. He's six foot five, two hundred thirty-seven pounds. Uh, Jared Goff, at a slender six foot four, two hundred fifteen pounds, could be more susceptible to getting dinged up in the NFL. Uh, Wentz is also far more athletic, rushing for over a thousand yards in school, while Goff's rushing totals were in the negatives. And but really, the biggest negative people have about Wentz is that he played at a small school. But that hasn't hurt other guys in the NFL, like Joe Flacco. Uh, now, some people criticize Goff for his small hands. I'm not one of those. Teddy Bridgewater also has small hands, and he's doing just fine. But, you know, the thing that worries me is that while Wentz was winning national championships, Goff's best season in college, his team went 8-5. and five, And then a freshman, they went 1-11. and 11. Now, I didn't research it, but I doubt many successful NFL quarterbacks have ever gone 1-11 and 11 in their life in high school, college, peewee football, whatever. You know, a good quarterback should be good for at least three wins, right? Even Jay Cutler at Vanderbilt in a tougher conference, the SEC, never had a one-win season. So, you know, tell me, Josh, why is his transition to the NFL going to be smoother than when he entered the NCAA? Well, you could also look at the fact that that's where he started, and he made his team a seven-better, seven-more-win team uh, throughout his career. So they were obviously not... Uh, very good when he started there. I uh, I got I got stuck with uh, with golf here, and um, I uh, actually kind of prefer the uh, skinny California surfer, um, uh, especially in this scenario. I believe the Rams will take him with their newly acquired first overall pick. Uh, it's not like I think the Rams are going to instantly be amazing, but at least they're not Cleveland, right? As Wentz. As, as for Wentz, if he does not get taken by the Browns, I believe the 49ers will tap him unless Dallas decides they want they want him or a huge trade goes down. Uh, the Rams, as Alan Satterley put it, uh, got snaked for this pick uh, just to move up to number one. Um, what what good what good is a franchise QB without weapons, right? Well, as much as I don't like this move, and I think the Rams. But I do think the Rams truly believe Goff is the guy. Weapons will come. The Rams did did not Mike Ditka for Ricky Williams themselves, hence they still have other picks and they can find talent later. It seems like an amazing deal for the Titans to rebuild their roster, but they still have to hit on all those picks to make that happen. Goff is a California kid, and he will be the quarterback for the new California NFL team. That will put butts in the seats. I know that is not a fantasy attribute, but that that could help him, his transition, I believe. Uh, all the, all, also, the Rams have a stellar defense, which should make Goff's job a little bit easier than any Cleveland quarterback. Now, don't forget, Cleveland does have RG3, and they, they have made references to they're not necessarily interested in taking a quarterback this year if RG3 can get them through the next couple of years. I'm sure Nick's got some thoughts on that and on in the rebuttal, but I also heard a great explanation from Adam Schefter on the Ross Tucker podcast about, about this trade. As you look at it, like they traded all these picks, but a couple of those picks were extra picks. They traded the Rams traded the extra pick they got in the Sam Bradford trade in this deal. They also traded their third round pick, but apparently they're going to get a third round pick next year for losing Janoris Jenkins. 
via via free agency they're going to get a compensatory pick so they they maybe not might not be that uh might not be the king's ransom that everybody thought it was um i do think um late projected wide receivers like uh Miss southern misses michael thomas Tulsa's Kiaris garrett and devin Kajus could certainly be stellar options for golf to grow with bigger targets that could help things help thing, help him with that transition uh, later on in this podcast, we will discuss the fact that orphan teams cannot be fixed in one year's time. That is a cold, hard truth in the NFL as well, maybe even more so uh, with a real, with a real, maybe even more so, excuse me, in the, in the real NFL. The Rams aren't as far away as the Titans. After all, they do have the number one dynasty running back, up and coming running back in Todd Group. And who knows, maybe Goff is just, what Kenny Britt and Tavon Austin need to be legit wide receiver twos. Uh, I know that's a big thing. But uh, the Rams thrive on on their short consecutive passing con, – excuse me, their short conservative passing game, which happens to be Goff's strength. His footwork is extremely quick and calculated. He can also make the deep throw, and he's gritty enough to take chances. Granted, it led to some interceptions, but knowing that he is – has that gunslinger mentality would make me as a coach feel like as an owner feel like he is the better choice here and the same cannot be said about Wentz the only thing that Wentz really has on golf is the fact that he's taking more snaps under under center uh good and good luck to convincing the city of angels that the that this kid from North Dakota State is going to guide their guide their team into the promised land I just don't see it unless golf gets hurt. I just do not see the Rams taking it, taking Carson Wentz. And and that's just my feeling. My the whole role in that dilemma where my whole point in that dilemma is, was, is that golf will certainly be a Los Angeles Ram. Nick, any, any rebuts there? Well, I am curious. Uh, do you, would, if, Say Goff played somewhere else uh, in the Big Ten or something like that, not not in California. Do you think he would still be the choice for the Los Angeles Rams if there was not the California connection? Uh, no, I, I think they, I think I think they maybe wouldn't even trade it up. I think you look at some of the moves they this team has done and complete, and obviously moving their team back out to Los Angeles. They're, they're they seem a little bit more interested in in making this team commercially successful rather than successful on the NFL field in such a tough division. Um, so I, I really, I do really think it's more of a publicity move. It sounds crazy as, as to be such a thing. Uh, but I think the fact that they, they think it's, it's going to help them sell tickets. I think that's a huge, a huge reason behind it. But I also think, I also think, I do think golf and Tavon Austin, could actually carve out some kind of niche in, in terms of what they can do, pending they do get a legitimate big wide receiver at a tight end in this draft. You know, there's the tight end class is just kind of ant, but I think there's guys, role players that can help teams be successful where they're not very fan, fantasy friendly players. I think there's certain guys that can help an offense along. So, I. I I do like both of these guys, and it, it'd be a hard decision for me. But and ultimately, I would choose who isn't the who isn't the Cleveland running back That's our, the Cleveland quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> In, any other thoughts there, Nick? 
Um, I'll just say, you know, you said you're not convinced that Cleveland's going to draft a quarterback. I will be shocked if uh, whoever's drafting at number two, whether it's Cleveland or if they trade with somebody else, if the number two overall pick isn't a quarterback, I'm going to be very surprised. Okay. Yeah, I, I do think – I think they'll try to trade. I think with the uh, the baseball analytic mind they have there in Paul DePodesto, if they get three picks, I don't even care where they are. If they get three picks for that overall selection, I think they will take quantity over quality uh, all day. It's tr- and they're going to do that next year probably too. I just think that they're going to want it. They're going to try to figure out something to rebuild this team. So something that got lost, um, as I see a note here from Ian Rappaport, that uh, the much – Loved on my heart and Dan's heart. Kenneth Dixon is visiting the Texans today. Also is going to visit the 49ers, Ravens, and Patriots. So hopefully none of those sound like great landing spots, but uh, might might make some Lamar Millers a little, Lamar Miller owners a little bit anxious. Um, a series that we have been doing is the best to wear this number in the NFL. Now we haven't addressed it a while because we've been doing our division by division that's a that's a whole lot of work each and every week and we absolutely love doing it for you but sometimes we just have to set something aside oh but i think it's really weighted because this this is really a phenomenal number as we approach the number 32 nick what do you got for me well like you said number 32 is a pretty good list uh we'll start with the most decorated active number 32 eric weddle uh three-time pro bowler and two-time all pro he led the league with seven interceptions in 2011 um now mike curtis was a linebacker he came into the league with the baltimore colts in 1965 went to five pro bowls in his 11 seasons with baltimore before moving to seattle and then finishing his career in washington and he did win a super bowl in 1970 with the colts uh, Hall of Famer O.J. Simpson led the league in rushing four times, went over 2,000 yards in 1973, averaging six yards per carry, uh, went to six Pro Bowls and was a five-time All-Pro. All uh, I actually had forgotten his last two seasons were in San Francisco. He'd, he'd be higher on the list, but, you know. Anyway, Maurice Jones-Drew uh, <laughs> only went to three Pro Bowls, but he was quite the fantasy darling. 79 touchdowns in his eight years in Jacksonville, three years over 1,300 yards, and his 1,600 yards led the NFL in t- 2011. Ricky Waters opened his career with five straight Pro Bowls. He was never under 1,200 rushing and receiving yards in his first nine seasons. Scored 91 touchdowns, uh, finished with over 10,000 rushing and 4,000 receiving yards, and was a Super Bowl champion with uh, San Francisco. I would guess that not many running backs have been that successful with three different teams like Ricky Waters, playing with San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Seattle. Uh, Edger and James led the league in rushing each of his first two seasons, including a career-high 1,700 yards in 2000. He went to four Pro Bowls and had over uh, 12,000 rushing yards that ranked 11th all-time, but he did not win a Super Bowl ring. He actually moved on from Indianapolis to Arizona by the time the Colts won. Now, some football purists may disagree with putting O.J. behind these players, but all the top three number 32s hold a very special place in football lore. We'll start with Franco Harris. Hall of Famer went to nine straight Pro Bowls, four-time Super Bowl champion, 91 rushing touchdowns is good for 11th all-time. And it's kind of a shame his great career gets overshadowed by a single play, but you got to admit, the Immaculate Reception may be the most famous play of all time. Now, Josh, your possible choice for number one would be the six-time Pro Bowler and Hall of Famer Marcus Allen, who had a pretty famous play himself with that run that won him a Super Bowl MVP with the Raiders' win over the Redskins. Uh, He was 12th all-time in rushing yards and at 37 years old scored 11 touchdowns in his final season. 
Uh, it's incredible oh, to me that he uh, finished with over 12,000 yards, but he only had three 1,000-yard seasons. That's pretty crazy to me. But the number one all-time, number 32, has to be Jim Brown, right? Uh, he's a pro bowler in each of his nine seasons. He led the league in rushing all but one year that he played. 106 rushing touchdowns. That's still good for fifth all-time. Some consider him to be the best running back of all time. Uh, you know, a little side note, he was the sixth overall pick in that 1957 draft, so five teams had to regret on passing on him, right? Well, actually, Hall of Famers Paul Horning and Len Dawson were both drafted in the top five. They were the first of eight Hall of Famers drafted in the first seven rounds in 1957. Sonny Jurgensen, Tommy McDonald, a couple others. I mean, wow, what a year. Let's, let's hope that this year's draft class is half as good as that 1957 draft, right? Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty hard to argue with uh, Jim Brown and Franco Harris, but it's it's one of those one of those moments in life where you just have to take something personally, and <laughs> and, uh, and it, not no disrespect to anybody else, but I mean, I would not be here on this podcast today talking about football if it wasn't for Marcus Allen. I mean, I love Marcus Allen, and he's the reason I love football. I remember you know, five, six years old, getting familiar with the game, watching the Vikings and the Bears and Packers and Chiefs because they were on TV. Oh, but then the Chiefs did that trip where they went out to play the Raiders in California, where it was Los Angeles at the time. And I'm just like, who are these silver and black uniforms? And, of course, the the head knight of that uh, that battalion was, was Marcus Allen. I mean, immediately I got a Marcus Allen, you know, the kid uniform wore that till it, till it literally just disintegrated. Oh, and they happened to go on and win the Super Bowl that year. And I mean, just, there's no way any other player could recreate that love of the game in my mind, just because it was so crucial to my, to my fandom really of the game. So I just, I, I really can't say anybody else is the best number 32 besides Marcus Allen. I know he had the only 3,000-yard rushing, 3,000 rushing yard seasons, but you also got to remember the Raiders absolutely exiled him for, for the Bo Jackson experiment. Bo was awesome. I do not take anything away from him. But how he was treated in Oakland was totally unfair. And, you know, it's it's amazing that it, somebody could even stay a Raiders fan after that, considering the love I have for him and the game and obviously the organization. So it puts a lot of things, uh, you know, in play for me there, but had he been, you know, available, maybe his curve wouldn't have lasted as long as it did to where he could score 37 touch or yes, 11 touchdowns at the age of 30. You certainly would have seen a lot more out of him. And he was just, just such a huge part of that reason that Oakland won that, that Super Bowl, Heisman Trophy winner, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP. I think there's not a lot of people that have done that in their career. And and all due respect to, to Jim Brown, it was a different game back then. The the I want to even say the level of competition wasn't wasn't as where it should have been at that time. And I'm not going to go deep into that. I think you probably know what I'm saying. So, but again, for me. It's 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 totally personal because what he has meant to to my life as a football fan and and like I said it's amazing that I that I could stick with with an organization after what they did to the the player that transformed your your mind as a, as an NFL fan but uh, but I have and uh, and I'll always love Marcus Allen like I said 
too too personal for me to get knocked off of the Marcus Allen pedestal there. So, Nick, any any other thoughts there on the best number thirty two? Um, just the fact that uh, as a Washington fan, I almost bumped him behind Franco Harris just because I dislike him because of that <laughs> run. But you know, again, that's just for. Uh, well, let's not forget the immaculate reception that really wasn't a reception it was against Oakland. So uh, we'll leave it at that. But um, uh, got a few more minutes before uh, Bill Latin joins us here as we talk about orphan teams. So. We'll get to something else here. Each and every week, I like to give my co-host, Nick, the floor. And I know I've said this like a million times, but every time I feel like when I say those words, I just envision Nick, like, putting his hair back in a ponytail and, like, shadow boxing uh, as he gets uh, prepared for Nick Rant. It's one of my favorite moments of the week. It really is. And I'm sorry because I had to get some music clip. But uh, I give I give Nick a chance to just kind of rant about something that's on his mind. And, uh, we kind of collaborated on this one as I gave him the idea, and I know he's going to knock it out of the park. So, uh, and it's what hasn't been already said about it, it might have, you might have heard some of this, but what do you got for us, Nick? Well, so, of course, many analysts have pointed out the irony that after trolling the Redskins for years about the RG3 trade, the now Los Angeles Rams made a similar deal, trading two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and two third-round picks to move up to the number one overall slot for a quarterback. And, of course, the people who question the trade say, how could they not learn from Washington's mistake? Well, the trade proponents claim that no price is too high if you actually believe in a franchise quarterback, and both of those sides make valid points. But personally, I see the trade from a different angle. I think it was a great trade for Los Angeles because they would have whipped on at least half of those picks anyway. I mean, just look at their recent draft history. They got three first-rounders and a second from Washington, and through trades, they turned those into eight players, and they still can't can't get past 500. I mean, Jimmy Johnson would have turned that team into a dynasty with uh, two first-round picks in three straight years. But just look at some of the guys they've drafted between the first and third round since 2012. Brian Quick, Tavon Austin, Stedman Bailey, Isaiah Peed, Trey Mason, LaMarcus Joyner, Sean Mannion, Janoris Jenkins, Jamon Brown, Michael Brockers. Now, not all these guys are bad players, but that's 10 players over the last four drafts that have really not been impact guys that have been drafted in the first three rounds. I guarantee you they would trade any six of those guys for a quality quarterback. So, you know what? There you go, Rams fans. You only had a one in three chance of any of those picks being good anyway, so it's kind of like you only traded away two players to move up to the number one overall slot, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I do hear you. I mean, the draft is certainly, uh, you know, it's 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 hit or miss. You're, th- you're throwing darts, as their buddy Howard Benning like, likes to say. Um, uh, they also, I just want to point out they traded not only did they trade you know get those picks in rg3 trade they didn't learn from it right away because they traded off to get a five foot two 120 pound Tavon austin or whatever he is they traded <laughs> off in the draft to get him so i mean it you can't i guess you can't put them down for being aggressive by any means but uh yeah it, it just seems it does the irony of it's just uh way too thick not to uh not to talk about. And, uh, you know, if if it works and he is, you know, a franchise quarterback that wins him a Super Bowl, even if, even if he wins one Super Bowl with that team, I think this trade is valid. You know, if, you know, if Tennessee turns around and wins three, you know, three Super Bowls in five or six years with Marcus Mariota, you know what, they win too. I mean, it could be a win-win situation. 
uh, in the end, but uh, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised to see Tennessee move on some move some of those picks so they could trade up for uh, for quantity. But I mean, to have I think they have what six picks in the top seventy seven right now. That is a team that everybody is watching draft day if they if they hold on to those picks, and even if they hit on you know, three of those six guys to let them grow through that organization for the next four or five years through those rookie contracts, uh, that, that, that could be really huge. So I, I think ultimately this could, this could be a win-win. Um, but uh, I think both teams are obviously have work to do if they could, could even be considered to be playoff teams uh, this year, two years from now, three years from now. So uh, very, very valid point there. And uh, I mean, they did, St. Louis could rub it, I mean, into their faces. If you remember, um, uh, Jeff Fisher sent out all the players that they drafted with those picks last last time they played in Washington to, for the coin toss. Was it something like that, Mitch? Uh, yes, it was. Yep. All, all of them yeah. <laughs> captains for that week. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, Jeff Fisher. That's pretty funny. Um, but... Uh, we still got two more minutes, so I got I got one quick combine idea, Nick. I want to throw on you, um, and I know there'll be the injury argument for any one of these guys. But what if, what if, just what if? Listen, hear me out here. Oh, by the way, do you remember the veteran combine? <laughs> what a piece of crap! <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's let's get some veterans involved in a different way, not free agents. What if Richard Sherman? And Antonio Brown went to the combine, and I think you know where I'm going here. And you know, you say, okay, Mackenzie Alexander, you, you talk the talk. Let's see you cover Antonio Brown one on one. Let's see what you can do. And same same thing. You say, all right, Will Fuller, you got all the speed in the world. Get past Richard Sherman. You know, even if they're not like padded up, even if they're just you know, and uh, and the gym shorts or the uh, you know the spandex, it would just be. I, I mean, what a great way to gauge how they can go against real NFL players. And, and maybe even if it's not Richard Sherman, maybe it's somebody's fifth cornerback that's there. This, this is a guy that's covered, you know, uh, this is a guy that's covered Michael Floyd and, you know, uh, some other, you know, you know, average receiver at the NFL level. Let's see what you can do against this guy, because this is a guy that's been a pro that's been there. That's been able to do things. Let's see what you can do. So any thoughts there? Um, I think that would be a phenomenal idea. That would actually get me to watch the combine. Um, however, you, uh, <laughs> you you began by stating that there would be injury concerns, and I think that would be the overriding factor against it. I, I don't ever see it happening, but I do think it's a great idea. And uh, also, did you uh, see the trade that went down in the last few minutes? The Eagles now have the number two overall selection this year. Oh, my gosh. I did not. What happened? What A few weeks ago, I said that I was not buying at all the Eagles looking at a quarterback in this year's draft. It looks like I was 100% wrong on that. <laughs> um, so what, what, are the, what are the details? It's not, it's not on Twitter. Come on, Twitter. Okay, the, Brown, the Browns have traded the number two overall pick in the NFL draft for the Eagles, to the Eagles for five picks, including – the eight number eight. So I did say earlier, if Cleveland gets at least three picks from somebody, they will do that. Um, so let's let's see some pick details. Maybe that's not not uh, up yet. But uh, um, do you, are you seeing more details there, Nick? 
Um, I'm seeing a first rounder in 2017 and a second rounder in 2018. I am not seeing any details past that. Wow. Going two years deep on there. Um, that's trading, always trading like two years down the road always reminds me of one of the most, one of my favorite trades ever when Washington traded, uh, was it Matt Turk for a, 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 a seventh round pick three years from now <laughs> uh, to Miami? That's, that's good stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, we'll, obviously we'll find you with a, hit you with some more details as that uh, as more of that becomes known there. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, Bill Bill's going to be joining us here momentarily now. Nick, why don't you maybe just kind of start talking? Uh, we're talking about orphan team kind of strategies and how how you go about it. I I would not go. I Maybe going out a little bit of a limb, but I feel like you're maybe a little bit more of a conservative owner than most. So, what what is kind of your 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 general philosophy? You know, kind of first boxes you like to check taking on orphan teams. Well, I would say in general, not much different from uh, normal dynasty philosophies. Uh, maybe be a little stronger as far as your anti-age bias, but you know, not many owners abandon competitive teams, so you're going to be building for the future. For example, I took over a team uh, very late last season in DFW 36 that I see as being probably two to three years away from contention. Uh, one of my quarterbacks is Big Ben, who he's great, but in three years he could be done. So you know, I moved him and Devontae Freeman for Aaron Rodgers and Jeremy Hill. Uh, yes, it's a downgrade at running back, but you don't need a stud running back unless you're a contending team. Plus, I'm not convinced Freeman won't lose more carries to Coleman this year. But, you know, I got a quarterback in that trade that's going to help me when my team is ready to make a push for the playoffs. Uh, now, with a struggling team, the draft is definitely more important than ever. But remember that this year's draft class is not considered as strong as some recent drafts, so don't hesitate to trade down or even out of this year's draft and pick up extra 2017 picks. Uh, another thing is, you know, you, like I said, you don't need a stud running back unless you're planning on contending. So unload your running backs, but don't just give them away for free. Make sure you're getting something going to help you in the future. Uh, another recent example, uh, I had a fellow owner that was interest, interested in Sharkhandrick West, who I definitely would have been willing to part with for some decent 2017 picks, but he didn't have any of those left, only had a seventh rounder. So he offered a Tim Hightower, who might be okay this year, but he's not a future investment by any means. And a tight end, Zach Miller, who, you know, I don't see as really a long-term solution in Chicago. So I, you know, you definitely did not take that trade. Make sure you're getting good future value in return if you're going to unload your running backs. Uh, now, one last thing. You know, if you've got a complete garbage roster, you might be tempted to trade all, all of your good players away and get future picks and tank this season for the number one overall pick. Just don't do that. I mean, not only do you ruin the competitive balance in the league, but even the number one overall picks, not a sure thing. Remember, two of last year's top four picks, Melvin Gordon and Kevin White, didn't score one touchdown between them. Uh, and, you know, I remember a few years ago how many people were super stoked about being able to draft Trent Richardson number one overall. You know, build for your future, but still try to give yourself a chance to win every week. Yeah, very, very valid points there. And I, you know, I feel like you can't, yeah, you can't just go in and start making moves and throwing, throwing people this, that way and, and whatnot. You really need to just kind of focus. You really just need to look at it, you know, look at all the, all the players on the team and just make sure that you, you know, you know, maybe just even like think in your mind to project a potential future for them. Like this is what, uh, this is what I can, 
you know, this is what I can do with him, you know, or this whereas I expect him to be. And after, and maybe after year one, if he's not there, maybe then consider moving him. And obviously, like Nick said, nobody gives nobody gives up successful teams when you when you take over an orphan team. And I think it is a little bit of BS when you take over an orphan team and they've traded their first round pick away for that year. I'm like, come on. <laughs> uh, what, what were you doing? But, uh, hey, you know, you, it, I enjoy the challenge. It's a little like being like a relief pitcher in baseball. So I, it's fun to kind of uh, kind of take that. And I think it's a very rewarding experience if you're able to, uh, you know, lift that team into the playoffs, which is obviously places where all of us fantasy uh, fantasy owners want to be is, is the fantasy playoffs. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. So, uh but uh, yeah, it's just that's just kind of general philosophies I take. I mean, it's it's not as uncommon as as you know as doing a redraft. I mean, don't get too like Dick said, grabbing all those picks. Don't get too rookie thirsty. Don't think you know all these rookies are going to be successful, or you want this person, that person, and don't don't go trading four players pre NFL draft. I've been burned by that. Uh, more than once. If you're trading for picks, I can understand that. Um, and if you have a, you know, a crystal ball, you, you'll you'll understand that better. But just don't go trading play for players. If you're trading before the NFL draft, trade for picks so you know what you want to do. And you know, obviously, with any startup or any orphan team, as much as many young wide receivers you can stockpile, not even necessarily rookies, you you certainly uh, should do that. And like Nick said. That's uh, one of the lessons that Dan taught us right away about dynasty is you only want a solid running back core when you know your team's going to be contending. And obviously it's a little different from a startup. Everybody loves their draft after a startup and thinks they're going to be amazing. But, uh, you know, you can come out of a, a startup like our buddy Bill did last year with not a whole lot of running back talent and your team will be just just fine. So you you get those guys along the way, you, you know, if you're successful, you can trade, uh, you know, a handful of picks to move up in the draft and draft the next great young stud running back. So that this is kind of my general philosophy there. Um, uh, like like we've said before, you know, let's face it, orphan teams are often not very often are not good. Sorry, let's face it, most orphan teams are not very good so you can't but you also can't expect to turn the entire roster around in one year right nick yeah definitely um you, you know there's always going to be an exception to the rule you know there there are some orphan teams that are good maybe the owner's significant other demands they quit playing fantasy or there's other reasons a quality team is orphaned but if the roster is garbage you know you or i or anybody else is probably not going to win a championship in year one, no matter how good your draft is. You know, it's no different from when NFL GMs take over teams. You know, you don't fall into a job where your team just won a Super Bowl most often. So, but, you know, don't try to – try not to look at it as a challenge. Look at it as an opportunity, you know. If you actually can turn that team around, you got to feel pretty good about yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. And like Nick said, you know, it's a lot like taking over a, a real GM job. Um, and that's that's also the reason people play Dynasty, just just to have that whole roster that rolls over from season to season. I mean, and that's, 
you know, that's the reason people get into fantasy in the first place is because you think that you can draft and out out uh, outthink your buddies and uh, other other experts around the world. So, uh, it like I said, it could be a rewarding experience if you actually take that uh, take that orphan team, turn them around, and uh, uh, make them contenders and. You know, there's not necessarily a blueprint on the exact way to do it, and you have to take some calculated chances here and there. But, uh, yeah, don't just immediately start flipping every single person on that roster because you're not – you think that's the reason this team was not successful. You know, maybe maybe they need to play the waiver – they didn't play the waiver wire aggressively enough. Um, and that's something I learned after being in DFW 36 for one year is the – the waiver wire was a, uh, you know, you get a thousand bucks and you're not exactly sure how people are going to bid. But if you know, like if a uh, Charkandrick West comes through after Jamal Charles gets hurt, people are like throwing six and eight hundred dollars down for the copies of those players. So you really, if you want a player, you really have to be aggressive. And obviously, you're going to hit and miss here and there. But that's, yeah, I would, I would strongly suggest being very aggressive on the waiver wire. Um, in terms of you know what what you think on players and and how you can help your team not not just by trading the waiver wire is there for a reason and you can certainly aid your team doing so. Um, so you you look at your roster, Nick, and it's full of guys that you have not not owned much before, or you just just despise them. What what should you do? Well, I mean, we play this game because it's fun, right? And if you hate a player, it's really tough to have fun rooting for him. But you have to be rational about the situation. You know, as a skin fan, of course, I would prefer to have a wide receiver one other than Des Bryant. But I'm not going to trade away Des Bryant for a wide receiver two just because I dislike him. When you have strong feelings against your players, you need to be aware of that. And then when trading them, look at expert rankings at DFW and make sure that if you're trading them away, you're receiving fair market value for them. You know, let's say you inherited Adrian Peterson and you don't like him for whatever reason. Look, look at the other teams' rosters in your league. Find the top two or three squads that look like they might be one running back away from a championship this year and try to get a boatload of young talent or draft picks. You know, I mean, heck, even if you love Adrian Peterson, I kind of would suggest that anyway unless you see a title this year, right? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, it's not necessarily a... a as much as you love him, it's not a a player that you can completely, you know, turn around and be, you know, it, he's not going to be when you're, if your team is, you know, unfortunately not very good, like most, like most startups are, you're not going to be able to flip him. You know, you're not going to be able to turn that team around in one year. So by the time he is ready to do so, um, he is, Excuse me. By the time Adrian Peterson, your team is ready to contend. Adrian Peterson might not, you know, might not even be in the NFL. So if you can get value to somebody who thinks they're going to contend, flip them around. But uh, uh, so that's certainly something to uh, to think about it in terms of. On a, we talked last week about how one of the biggest, you know, the biggest mistakes is we can we can do is get too enamored with with young talent and put too much stock in potential. But if the team is old and you know you're not going to contend for the next two or three years, it's okay to sell off those older players, even if you're just getting picks or maybe just get, you know, one or two year guys or if there's an under-the-radar wide receiver that you like 
uh, you know, it's it's certain that uh, and a lot of dynasties are filled with experts, but it's certain a lot of people might know about that player. But just you know, you can. There's certainly things that you can do to help your team out. It's don't like you said, Nick said, don't give the best running backs away. But if, if you can get good market value and hit us up on Twitter or whatnot, please uh, please do so. We can try to help you out. I mean, Adrian Peterson has been a great great back, but you don't need to uh, you don't need to just uh, sell him because you think he's old and uh, and past past his prime there. Um, any other thoughts there on uh, on orphan team, Nick? Nick Bill's going to call us here in a second. Any other thoughts there? Um, just uh, I would stress be be patient. You know, don't get frustrated and oh, you started off zero and six. Well, it's an orphan team. You, you, there's a decent chance that you might uh, start off you know with a really terrible record in year one, maybe even in year two. But be patient, stick with your game plan, and eventually uh, success will come if you can draft and play the, uh, the waiver wire and all that stuff, right? Yeah, be patient and and really really be aggressive on that waiver wire here. We got to, we got Bill on here. One second, Bill, how you doing? Well, I'm better now that I'm able to participate in the show. I apologize for the delay there. That's all right. That's all right. We're, we, me and Nick, have kind of already started it a little bit uh, as we're coming towards the end of it. But what, what, what do you have for us, like on, on general philosophy? Now, all three of us actually took over an orphan team in uh, DFW 36, which is a, a crazy 36 team league. So uh, we, we certainly have, uh, you know, we don't want to give everything away, Bill. Because you don't want totally want to know how you think, but your team, your team in DFW 36 was probably a little bit more successful than me and Nick's, and, and you're able, you've been able to really aggressively work the trades. To, I think probably to your advantage, wouldn't you say? I, I would say so. I think that there's a couple of key principles that you should own when you take over a an orphan team, regardless of what level of of uh, talent you have. The first is to get to know your league mates. That's probably the most important thing that sometimes people overlook. You have to get to know the culture of the league, what uh, level of intensity and, and involvement your league mates have. You have to get to know uh, teams' tendencies, uh, players that they like, players that they dislike. And you have to kind of just soak that all in, number one. And I think number two, the, the second most important thing is recognize in, in a orphan takeover that it's okay to improve slightly. I think too many people go for the home run hit. They're looking to get that next big, huge uh, player. And they're not willing to work the little deals. They're not willing to work a deal where the last minute throw in is I get a fourth round pick instead of my sixth round pick. Um, those little things build up the value of your, of your team, the value of the potential talent that you get on your team. And I think by and large, getting to know your league mates and being willing to, to make those little trades, um, are extremely important. Um, I know you're in really into the, uh, the salary cap type of leagues. Uh, have you ever had an experience taking over an orphan team, in a salary cap league? Yes, and it's definitely a bit of an apple and an orange. For those of you that haven't played in the salary league, there are a lot more complexities involved where at times you have to make moves that you would never in a million years make 
in a regular league because you have to alleviate either salary cap or contract years. Sometimes if you have four or five rookies and you only have three taxi spots and you need X amount of years available, um, you might have to unload a guy or two to make room for those players. So um, I'll give you a, a, a recent example um, where I had to cut bait on someone. I, I shopped Matthew Stafford very, very um, hard for a period of about three months. And the best deal, and I know this is going to sound sad, but the best deal that I could end up getting was I flipped him for Chris Conley. And my salary for Stafford was around $5 million, and Chris Conley was at around 850000 So in a one-quarterback, 12-team league, you know, quarterback value is kind of meh unless you have one of the two or three guys, you know, unless you have Luck or Cam Newton. And even then, honestly, at times, they're difficult to trade. So, you know, straight up, if you ask the dynasty community, would you trade Matthew Stafford for Chris Conley? Eh, most people would say probably not. Um, that's probably not a va- enough value for Stafford, especially considering that after week nine last year, he was on a tear and had a, an extremely uh, productive second half of the season. But in that particular situation and environment, it helped me alleviate over $4 million in cap space. And I suppose, too, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but with with those top-tier quarterbacks, I would assume comes quite a, quite a decent salary as well, right? Absolutely. In, in that league, our, our, um, that particular league, our salary cap at, in that league is around $92 million, and the top guys, Luck and Cam Newton, are both the $10 million plus range. So they're $10, $11 million for Luck and Cam Newton, um, and then it trickles down from there. Um, and again, without getting too much into detail about specifics, you have the ability to renegotiate one player per year, and it's based on, based on the amount of uh, production that player had. You can renegotiate just like in the NFL. So Stafford was a guy that used to be around $8.5 million. I renegotiated him a couple years ago down to around $5 million. Um, and now I, I made a trade. Um, I'm in a win-now window in that league. I made a trade for Carson Palmer, got him super cheap. And I, I needed to make a couple other pieces to to fortify my defense. So I felt like Stafford was expendable. I, I don't think his ceiling is what it was when Calvin was around. So I made a decision, cut bait, freed up some salary, and was able to uh, pick up a couple big defensive pieces. Telvin Smith was one that I picked up uh, was a big piece, oh. and uh, you know I feel like I can make a run now. Very cool. Yeah, I, nobody's gonna say no for you getting the. Telvin Smith, that's for sure. Uh, that's uh, that's, a, that's a nice uh, nice IDP out there. Nick, Nick, any questions there for Bill about the the salary cap side of this? Yeah, um, I've never played in a salary cap league myself, so I'm curious. Uh, uh, general philosophy: uh, do, you, do you like having? Is there any position that you want to be elite at in the salary cap league, or would you rather not pay that extraordinary salary to one position and just be strong all across the board? Well, my experience is such that I believe that the one common denominator in the salary leagues that I'm in is that wide receivers are at a premium. It's no secret that our industry has kind of gone that way uh, with, with uh, you know, zero RB theory, late-round quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the elite wide receivers are worth the money that you spend on. Um, typically, um, I'll reserve a big chunk of my, of my salary for uh, the wide receivers. And Josh would tell you, you know, in DFW 16, my first uh, three out of my first four picks, I think were wide receiver. Um, I think that 
you have to build your team around young wide receivers, and that's how you build a dynasty. Their their career is longer. They're um, a little bit easier to me to chart long-term productivity. Now, of course, it's still a little bit of a guessing game, but when you look at you look at ability, it's a lot harder to uh, figure out running backs. It's a lot harder to figure out a second or third string quarterback that could potentially be elite. But you look at the athleticism of wide receivers, landing spots, pedigree, and you you know that a guy like Amari Cooper is going to be a beast. You know, you know that a guy like Mike Evans is going to have you know, a lot of touchdowns and success in the NFL. So it's a little bit easier to forecast. So therefore I think it's definitely worth uh, paying. And then on the defensive side, I believe that despite the fact that there is a lot of linebacker depth, I think it, it pays dividends to have one or two key linebackers to kind of anchor your squad. Um, There's nothing worse than going to make your starting lineup decisions and deciding between six LB twos. It's, it's, you know, you will, it's maddening. You'll, 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 you know, kill yourself trying to figure out which, which linebackers to start. And, and you've got a bunch of good guys, but you don't have any great guys. So I like to have one or two studs at the linebacker position so that it's kind of plug and play and I don't have to second guess myself. Very good. Um, so what about some of the other questions we talked about here, Bill? Um, uh, you know, like I said, most orphan teams are usually not very good. So you really can't expect, can't expect them to turn turn that team around in one year's time, right? Correct. You have to almost look at it. I mean, dynasty football is is just that. You know, you're trying to build a dynasty. Oftentimes, people uh, come into it thinking, you know, that they're 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 short term thinkers. And for me, you have to think, you know, three to five years down the road. Um, now rarely on rare occasion you might take over a roster that looks like it it could contend and then you've got some different decisions to make but for me part of the fun of taking over an orphan team is putting your own flavor on it putting your own spin on it so there are guys that I detest and there are guys that I love so one of the first things I do when taking over an orphan team is I shop the guys that I absolutely hate now I'm not going to go around and tell you know tell you guys that I absolutely hate this guy but I'm going to try to squeeze maximum value for them, and I'm going to, you know, try to see what I can do. Um, you know, Cam Newton's a guy that uh, I can't stand. Cam Newton, he's I can't stand him. I don't like him. Uh, I don't really want him on any of my teams. He's great dynasty quarterback. He's a fantastic fantasy player. Um, so I was very patient in DFW 36 um, in in shopping him. I put out a lot of offers early, and I was able to eventually. Uh, you know, make some moves where I feel like I, I got maximum value for him. Now, if you look at the amount of picks that I had when I took over the team and you look at the picks now, not only the amount of picks, but the level and round of those picks, um, I think that I've set myself up very well for this year and next to um, to insert some youth into that squad and to fortify some of the positions. Um, Sean had a great team. He had, he had, uh, he had a lot of uh, interesting players. Um, but Thomas Rawls is another example of a guy that I just don't like him. You know, for whatever reason, I just don't like him. So I shopped him. I don't think he's a long-term answer there. Some people are enamored. Josh, I know you're a big fan of Rawls. Um, I just don't mm-hmm. see – I'm a big fan of draft pedigree and looking at the big picture. And, and I'm a zero RB guy anyway, so I look to flip him. Um, so, you know, that's half the fun is putting your own stamp on the team. And uh, I'm excited about – 
in DFW 36, obviously it's a little different and interesting because there's three copies of each player. So some of those picks, I really actually think they're much more valuable because you look at a pick like a, a 2.01, for example, that really could be a mid first pick depending on, you know, how the draft flows and who's picked. And, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like a, like this year, somebody like an Ohio state, Michael Thomas could slip to the 2.01 simply because of the dynamics of what teams need and who's ahead of you. So I look at those, you know, late first, early second, mid second round picks, they're golden in, in that format. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're still, you're still taking a gamble there at those picks, but uh, yeah, it, it it is quite the, quite the different and you really can't explain to people like how that rookie draft goes until you actually are a part of one of them it's just it's it's pretty much impossible to explain but it, it's uh it was a whole lot of fun and 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 the other thing about being in a league like that and i don't know if there's too many leagues out there like this i'm not saying we're better than anybody else i just think if you're in a league that has multiple copies even if it's two copies of each player and you come up to your draft, no matter what round it is, and that play, there's two copies of the, that player there that you want to draft, and there's two, two copies or three copies or four copies, whatever the league is, you can trade back. You can get great draft capital even next year. You can trade back, even if you're trading back, you know, six spots because you think that one of those three copies of your guys is going to be there. You could take that gamble and get a huge return on there. You know, I was – I was get, getting offered like John Brown for like my third round pick in that, even if I wasn't trading back, but I was getting, you know, actual NFL players being offered to me for my third round pick because people saw Tyler Lockett slipping through the cracks or, or whatnot in that type of thing. So that's certainly something, I guess, as a piece of advice, I'll give to you guys, even though you're my league mates there <laughs> as that's, it's certainly always something. And if you're not sold on a guy, even in your regular dynasty rookie draft, if you think the player you want is like, well, I don't want to take this guy because I could maybe if I wait and be patient, I can get him around later. Maybe just try to trade back a little bit. If you, if you know, like Phil said, if you know your league mates and you know, somebody well, and I think you bring up a certain you, player, go ahead. Yeah. You bring up a good example. And I, and I was actually very excited uh, last week. I believe it was when, you uh, you did the trade uh, dilemma with uh, the trade that went down in one of my leagues where I owned the 1.2, 1.02, and I quite frankly am not um, I am not sold that Treadwell or Dachshund are going to be elite. I believe that, uh, in my opinion, that uh, it's going to be super dependent on landing spot, and I just don't see a clear cut superstar wide receiver there. So I shopped my pick, and I ended up trading the 102 for the 107, 108, 3.2, and Max Williams. And I know there was a lot of debate, you know, with people and various uh, uh, angles on it, but to me the way I look at it is that 107 and 108, there, there are going to be a plethora of players that I like nearly as much as I like, um, as I like Treadwell or Dachshund. I, I love uh, Kenneth Dixon. Um, I love Michael Thomas. I love uh, Leonte Carew. I, I mean, and again, there's probably five guys that I could that I could look at in that range of 107 to 108, where they're going to have good landing spots, and I'm going to get two very good players. Um, so, you know, Max Williams. It's debatable what your thoughts are on him, but to me, he's a late first round pick. 
Um, and he's a guy that, you know, he's a long-term play tight ends take two to three years to develop anyways. Um, I'm certainly not scared off by old man rivers that they signed for, you know, a one year stop gap and, and the 3.2 in an IDP league can, can yield you a pretty solid um, IDP player. So I feel good and I feel comfortable about it. I feel like I've, uh, I've, I've strengthened my roster. Time will tell, you know, if, if Treadwell is the next Des Bryant or if Dachshund's the next AJ Green, well, then I probably lost on the deal. So, but you, you make a perfectly good point of trading down and, and gaining extra value. Yeah. And just so people know, if you're listening to this live, we're going to run out of live stream here in about 15 seconds, but don't worry if you download the podcast, you'll be able to you'll be able to listen to the entire thing as we have kind of an extra long show for you today. But um, yeah. And uh, you know, I think ultimately when you make a trade and, you know, maybe some people disagree or don't agree with it, as long as you're happy and, you know, I guess it doesn't really care if your trade partner's happy, they they still need to trade. As long as you're happy and you know that you have a plan, even if it doesn't work out, you, you can at least put stock in the fact that you're doing what you wanted to do. And that's another another thing about the the teams, uh, the leagues that we have here with DFW 36 and 48. I would encourage anybody, even if you can get like a league of 24 and get a couple of copies, to try a league out like this because they're so fun. Even like post-draft, I felt like if there was a player that I wanted, I could go get him because th- there's three different owners that you can hit up. And I, and I, I honestly don't think that there was – I mean, besides uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and I still don't rule out any any me, me trading a whole lot for him in one of our leagues. Um, but just about any other player that I thought I wanted, I could go get. Even if I had to go through the first and second owner first, I found something in the third owner and was able to flip it because I had this older player that he wanted because he thought he was a contender, and I knew I wasn't. So that's that's the, half of the fun of being in, in a big league like that is you can really just about get anybody that you want. So I, I love that fact about the, that league size there. Uh, Nick, Nick, any more questions there for Bill? Well, just curious with the uh, recent news today with uh, the Eagles trading up to the number two overall pick, uh, if you were in an orphan team that was desperate for a quarterback, would you prefer uh, Wentz over Goff or the other way around or just depending on the landing spot? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, from an NFL perspective, um, not speaking dynasty football, from an NFL perspective, I I personally am a Wentz guy. Um, I think Wentz long-term to me, seems like a, a better quarterback. I think if you want to win today, Goff is the guy to insert plug and play. Uh, he's gritty, and, and I, I like his intangibles maybe a little bit better. Um, it's really kind of a 1A and 1B, and I know it's a bad example because Robert Griffin kind of fizzled out, but if I remember correctly, there was quite a bit of debate about, you know, do you take Griffin, do you take Luck? Do you take Luck, do you take Griffin? And they both had outstanding rookie seasons, so I think we're looking at a similar situation where you've got two guys that are probably going to both produce. They're both high, high character guys, which I can't tell you enough that, you know, for me, that's a big part of the analysis is, is someone a good character guy? Are they smart in the film room? Uh, do they articulate well? Um, so for me personally, I take Wentz. If I'm, if I'm, you know, looking for a quarterback for my dynasty team, um, gosh, I still think I pick Wentz. Um, and this is, you know, quarterback, uh, picking a quarterback in a dynasty rookie draft 
is probably the most polarizing all over the board subject that you can discuss in terms of where guys land. Because if you're in a traditional 12 team quarterback league, the value of that quarterback is, is not that high unless you have a, you know, a, a, a once in a generation talent like an Andrew Luck, quite frankly, you're, you're fine streaming the Tony Romo's and Philip rivers. And I mean, heck, you know, guys like Josh McCown and Ryan Fitzpatrick and Carson Palmer and on and on and on. So it's, it's difficult to say where I would select those guys right now. If my team had the luxury of perhaps having an extra pick, I think late first, early second round is probably the soonest I would spend on one of those quarterbacks. And the full details here I have according to ESPN.com. Uh, not the best website in the world, I'll say. Um, <laughs> EFW is obviously the best website in the world, people. Come on. But uh, uh, the Browns get the first-round pick. Or excuse me. The Browns get the Eagles' number eight overall pick, which they just got from Miami. Uh, their third and fourth-round picks of 2017. So Philly already doesn't have a second-round pick. So they have their first-round pick and a fifth-round pick. And they also get the Eagles 2017 first and the Eagles 2018 second round pick. The Eagles will get, obviously, the number two overall pick and a conditional fourth round pick in 2017. So, seems like a lot. Uh, but uh, now I think we're almost certain it's going to be Goff, Wentz, or Wentz, Goff, 1-2 here in uh, draft. And I love, obviously love that this happened during the podcast. Talk about it. Uh, well, I got to uh, tell you, uh, I think Cleveland, you know, they're they're actually back to to uh, to NFL relevant relevance. Excuse me, um, I, I'm a big Cleveland fan. I was born in Canton, Ohio. My my uh, aunt lives one block from the Football Hall of Fame. Um, I I in my heart of hearts want to see them succeed. They're some of the best fans. You know, they're they're like Pittsburgh fans. They're like, you know, they're they're just eat, drink, sleep. Browns football, they're blue collar people, and I think that, that that franchise deserves some some success. And I think Hugh is the right guy. I think that his temperament and his mindset and culture and philosophy is the right guy for that team. I love what they're doing with analytics. I think that the NFL is going to continue to uh, increase their exposure to analytics, and and uh, and they're going to craft their teams around the analytics. And I really think that this is this draft is where the Browns fans in three years will look back and say, that's how we started to get back to relevance and, you know, Browns, you know, actually making the playoffs. And um, I'm really excited to see what the Browns do. Um, there, there are so many options for them. Um, you know, just it, it's just uh, – it's really exciting for them. The Titans as well. You know, they both, I think, just really just stole – uh, stole those extra picks, and they're both going mm-hmm. to uh, basically swing the pendulum for their for their franchises. So it is exciting. It's exciting for the NFL. It's exciting for dynasty and fantasy football. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty. I'm, and you know, it's exciting to me. It's exciting uh, as somebody in DFW 36 who traded, uh, being a zero RB guy, traded and got Ryan Matthews from our fearless leader Jay. Um, so now I'm feeling like my Ryan Matthews. Uh, uh, guy is going to uh, be a much better pick that they're trading up. They're certainly not going to go Ezekiel Elliott at number two. So I feel like that Ryan Matthews is going to be a, a very good one to two year play there for the zero RB guys. So uh, I'm feeling really good about it. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see where, where Zeke goes now, certainly. And yeah, like you said, with the Cleveland fans, 
even though as bad as they've been, they are just loyal fans. That place is always packed, no matter how bad they have been over the last couple of years. Um, and who cares if they don't get a quarterback this year? Where I see, like you say, this could help help their franchise finally turn the corner, but what's the sense of getting a rookie quarterback and having them get demolished for one year when they have two two first-round picks next year where they can tap one? So, they, you know, they, they can – they have they have options there. Uh, Nick, Nick, any thoughts there? Um, just that it will be very interesting to see, to see what happens with Cleveland Browns this year, especially you know now they probably are not going to be drafting a quarterback early. Uh, Robert Griffin experiment round two. Uh, you know, definitely got to hope that it works out for them because, like you guys said, Cleveland fans they they deserve a lot better product than they've seen on the field in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have, you know, they have with New, excuse me, with New England not having that first round pick. I think Cleveland has the first pick of the second round too. So that's essentially like having another two another first round pick there too, depending on obviously who slips and may hey, maybe they want to take Connor Cook with that pick and they and they have their quarterback. So I mean they they certainly have have options there. And it's I think Cleveland had a bunch of picks already. Or who's got who's got the most picks? I think San Francisco had the most picks actually. But uh, Cleveland had a bunch of picks last year, so maybe maybe they are building something there. Um, Bill, I wanted you to stick around for one second so you could help answer that IDP question here, if you could. Is that all right? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. So uh, this is a question that we got from Twitter. What are our thoughts on uh, uh, Oa Digazua and Frank Clark in Dynasty, and how do they stack up this year? versus this rookie class of DNs? Well, first of all, there's a little bit of crushing news to me that Frank Clark is being moved to outside linebacker. Um, That is a bit of a surprising move. Uh, Supposedly he shed about 200 – he shed 25 pounds and is is playing at around 245 right now, 250. Um, So that changes the complexity of this question quite a bit. Prior to the move today, I actually liked Frank Clark quite a bit as a guy – um, to maybe stash. Um, I, at this point, um, I'm a little down on Frank Clark because yes, there's a ceiling there of perhaps Justin Houston. I mean, that's the pie in the sky that that would be his ceiling, but the floor is rock bottom. The floor is Bruce Irvin. Basically Bruce Irvin, as everyone knows, uh, was one of my biggest misses ever, uh, as an IDP guy. I just loved his skill set. I loved his knack for rushing the quarterback. I loved his motor and it just never translated. And I don't know if it's, you know, him being a knucklehead or not being utilized properly or a combination of both, but Bruce Irvin just never really seemed to find himself in Seattle. And I'm afraid that Frank Clark could be destined for the same type of a situation where he's going to have, you know, a few games where maybe he gets one and a half or two sacks, and then he's going to go AWOL for four games and have a combined three tackles in those four games. So I'm a little down on Frank Clark. Um, the uh, the uh, and I always butcher his name, so um, we'll call him O. Uh, I think that, that situation there, that situation in, in New York is interesting. Um, it really boils down to how much playing time is JPP going to get. And Jason Pierre-Paul is, you know, he's playing for a contract. He's going to want to wreak havoc and get in there and, and do well and perform. So I believe that JPP is probably going to play two thirds of the snaps. Um, this this upcoming season at least, so I'm not sure how much playing time that that uh, the big the big O is going to get. 
Um, I like his talent more than I like Frank Clark. I like him better as a long-term prospect. Um, but that that landscape in, in New York, the Giants, it's, it's a tough one to figure out from the defensive end standpoint because they've had guys come and go in the last few years that, that I thought were going to do well, and they, they never really – uh, they never really, you know, got quite there. So um, I believe Frank Clark is probably a hold because you're not going to get much for him. Um, they're probably both holds because there's not a, a ton of name recognition value out there f- for them. And you're probably not going to get much starter value out of either of them. Uh, the one exception would be if there's an injury in New York, um, you know, then obviously he's going to bump up my up, up my rankings and, and probably be – more of a low-end DL2. But uh, to be honest, not super excited about the Frank Clark situation. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's harsh. Uh, Nick, any thoughts there? Um, I pretty much agree with uh, everything Bill said, uh, especially with Frank Clark being a linebacker now, probably going to be Bruce Irvin's replacement. But as a former defensive end, you got to worry, is he going to be just a two-down player? Are they going to trust him in pass coverage? So I, I think Clark is pretty much only valuable right now in sack-heavy scoring leagues. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, when it pertains to the guy in the, uh, New York, and I also don't want to disrespect him by butchering his name, so uh, the defensive lineman for the Giants was a third-round pick last year. He only had three tackles as a rookie. He's currently ranked uh, DFW's defensive lineman number 43. You know, since pass rushers do take time to develop, I think he's definitely worth a stash. Uh, I would de- I would not uh, trust him to start this year. That's that's way too risky, but. Um, you know, defensive linemen in general, you kind of got to wait until year three, year four, year three especially for them to develop. And uh, I think that's also a lesson. You, you might be able to, uh, if you like any defensive linemen coming into this year's rookie draft and you don't get them, wait until next off season. And if they are, you get off to slow starts as pros, try to buy low on them in year two. And hopefully they develop kind of like a Coney Ely did with the Panthers. You hit it right on the head, Nick. I I, uh, I I owned up for my big swing and a miss with Bruce Irvin, but I'll take a little bit of credit. Uh, Ziggy Ansah, I was all over him as a rookie. Uh, pretty much got him everywhere. I tried to get him um, and, and, you know, didn't have to pay a very high premium for him. He basically, you know, sat on the bench for a year and a half, um, had some spot starts, and now he's arguably one of the top three or four uh, defensive ends in the league. Oh. So you're absolutely right, Nick. They, it takes – it takes time for some of these guys, you know, not everyone's JJ Watt or even JPP when he first came out, you know, that it takes, it takes a couple of years for these guys to develop. Um, even Vernon Olivier, Olivier Vernon, uh, you know, he's a guy that took a couple of years to, to kind of find his own. So you're absolutely right. He's a guy that, you know, let's sit on your roster, mature, uh, earn his playing time. And then I, I do think that, you know, his ceiling is probably high D DL two, a uh, low DL one. I don't think he's ever going to be that huge, you know, 13, 15 sack guy, but he's going to be a guy that could get you 45 tackles and, you know, six to six to nine sacks. And, and most of us would take that. Okay, Bill. So since you went there, who, who is the Ziggy Anza of this class? Who are we going to be talking about four years from now? Well, it's, oh man, remember Bill is right. It's no secret. When you look at, when you look at my rankings, uh, you see I'm the only person that has DeForest Buckner as the number one defensive lineman uh, out of this draft. Um, You know, when it comes to IDP players, um, there are very few guys that are safe. So most of the time I'm going to try to pick the upside guy. 
And I just see um, there's he's definitely raw, but I see his athleticism, I see his size, I see his um, his motor, his willingness to to uh, to learn. Uh, he had a very very good uh, recommendations from his coaches. Uh, he interviewed very well, which again is, is checks the boxes for me. I just think DeForest Buckner's a guy. Um, now, I, personally, I kind of hope he's not he's not uh, thrown into the into the uh, fire right away as a full time starter. I kind of hope he works his way in as is more of a rotation guy. But uh, I think that he's going to be when we look back two or three years from now, he's going to be the best defensive lineman in this class. And is that going to be uh, the scheme specific? Because we know like those three four DNs can't don't necessarily. I, you know, at as, this point, I kind of trust. I trust. I trust the NFL to figure it out. You know, these guys. It's a billion. You know, multi-billion-dollar industry, and you know, th- these guys put a lot of time and energy into scouting. They put a lot of time and energy into um, constructing and crafting their teams. With you know, between their coaches, their schemes, etc. And I feel like they're you know more often than not they they get it right. You know, most of the time they get it right. And I think that there's got to be a team out there that sees that sees Buckner and sees it as a perfect fit. You know, I, I, I know it's not the best example, but I look at players like, you know, Levante, David, Telvin Smith, Deion Buchanan, the teams that drafted those players had a role for them. They, they knew where they fit in their scheme. They did their homework. They did their due diligence and the dividends are paying off. And I think in today's NFL, and that's one, one reason I'll, I'll put a little shout out there to Jeremy Cash as well. That's one reason I'm so high on Jeremy Cash. He's such an, a dynamic player at what he does that I think there's going to be an NFL team that figures it out and puts him in the proper position to succeed. And I think Buckner's the same type of player. Um, you know, I am not loose. I'm not comparing him to JJ Watt, but I will say that, that type of a player where you, you know, you draft a player for your team and you know, he's, he's the right fit and you know, he's going to succeed in your scheme. So I think that the NFL, they're a lot smarter than us. I think they're going to get it right. I think that he's going to land in a spot where he's going to be successful. And, uh, and I'm excited about him. And, you know, some of these players like Buckner and cash, you, you've read in some of the write-ups that I've done that the, the thing I'm most excited about them is the fact that they're going to be drafted later than a lot of these other name guys, you know, you're going to have to really uh, reach deeper. If you want to take, you're going to have to reach deeper if you, if you want to take, you know, the top notch uh, safeties. So these guys are guys that you can sit back and get them in the late fourth, early fifth round of your rookie drafts, or depending on if you don't even have that many drafts, that many rounds, you can get them off the wire and trust me, get them off the wire before they, you know, before the NFL season starts and put them on your roster, throw them on your taxi squad, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And Cash is one of those guys, too, that people keep giving that um, – that, how did this turn into an IDB show? Um, <laughs> that sub-package <laughs> designation. But uh, as a big fan of uh, Ross Tucker and all of his various podcasts, he has been pounding the last two weeks the fact that him and Greg Cosell, I believe, unearthed the stat that – NFL defenses are in their sub package 65% of the time. So if somebody says, oh, he's a yep. sub package player, well, there's opportunity right there for, uh, for cash. So well, and, and I'll take, you know, take it one, him. Absolutely. Take it one step further. Look at Detroit. You know, Detroit is who I think he would fit best with 
and you know they have a, a, a pick that you know he'll slot right in where you know where he probably should go. Detroit played their safeties up in the box a lot last season. I mean a lot, and you know two of their safeties are gone now, and there's a glaring need in that in that uh, secondary. And because of the type of defense that they play, and they were they were a decent defense. They were middle of the pack, 14th, 15th overall. Um, I think he would fit very well there um, with the amount of pressure that, you know, Ansa and, and, uh, and uh, Delvin's uh, able to get. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the linebacking core is improving. I, I think that, I think that he's a perfect player to fit in there and, and do some, do some fun, creative things on the defense. And, you know, in today's defense, you have to reinvent, you have to reinvent and you have to keep up with what everyone else is doing. And, and that hybrid money backer type role, it's popping up everywhere. And it's, and it's because these, these mid mid-sized athletes, you know, the, the two fifteen to two twenty five guys that are six foot to six, two, they just can they're just robocop they can just do it all they they can you know roam the field they're fast they're quick they're rangy um they're big enough to tackle you know tight ends so i i'm excited about jeremy cash i think that he's he's my number one ranked defense defensive back in the in the from a fantasy a dynasty perspective um i think that he uh again and the fact that you can get him in late fourth or early fifth round is just money to me no no pun intended <laughs> uh yeah i get it um well, thank you so much for joining us, Bill. Obviously, love the, the IDP insights, and hopefully, we answered that uh, that Twitter question there. Um, got a little long-winded and went in a few different directions, but hey, that's why that's why we at DFW are awesome because we we just go a little deeper just for you guys, so we can help you on the way. So, uh, thanks for joining us, Bill, and I'm sure we'll talk to you very very soon. My pleasure. Good good day, guys. And it's. Ola Adigazua. I'm not sure how the, that's. I'm, I know that's the first first name is a little bit longer there, but we're gonna call him Ola Adigazua. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty confident that's how it's pronounced. And uh, if you really want a challenge, you should look up the the offensive tackle for t- TCU. That's going to be a, a late round draft pick this year. I don't even know where to start with that one. But uh, uh, great insight. Hopefully, you, are you? Taking IDP notes there, Nick, for your rookie draft. Did you get did you get all that down? Uh, definitely, uh, especially in the DFW 36. I I will be making some defensive selections in our rookie draft. Uh, yeah, I went a little heavy on that last year, so I don't have too many defensive holes there. So hey, maybe if you're looking to trade for a player, hit me up. Um, but just a few more things to get to here. We got some. Uh, Dynasty trade analysis. We're going to kick me out of the war room, and then Peyton Manning trivia. Like I said, no pressure, Nick, but I gave you a clue. So I can't remember how much the clue was because I think I added to it since. But uh, uh, dynasty trade analysis. It's time for dynasty trade analysis. Okay, Jamal Charles for C.J. Anderson and Frank Gore. I've been on record to say I absolutely love this trade. I I get it, and I get how it's beneficial to both parties. Your thoughts there, Nick? 
Well, I get the trade. Um, obviously, the person giving up C.J. Anderson believes that Jamal Charles is going to be the lead back in Kansas City. I'm not so sure of that. I personally would be a little hesitant to invest in any of the Kansas City running backs at this point. I think it could be a big uh, running back by committee situation there. So, personally, I prefer the trade the, the side that picked up C.J. Anderson to Frank Gore, even though uh, Ronnie Hillman did re-sign in Denver. So, C.J. Anderson is likely going to be splitting carries again, but I still prefer that side, especially given the fact that Anderson is so much younger. And then you also get Frank Gore on top of that. Yeah, I mean, you're getting Frank Gore for maybe, you know, maybe just one more season, but uh, Anderson has certainly proven to be a, a valuable pass catcher in this, the PPR world. So we, we, uh, we, we appreciate backs that do that, especially. Um, and I, I do lean a little bit towards that side as well, where, you know, Jamal Charles has basically had two knee reconstructions now, and he's supposed to be on an NFL field here in a couple months with some of the greatest athletes in the world. So, We've seen him overcome one, so it's not entirely, uh, uh, you know, impossible for him to do, but uh, he's going to have to do it again at a heightened age. So, you know, and if you're willing to go all in and that's the missing piece to your puzzle and you don't, you want to get some kind of something out of Frank Gore, I, I don't necessarily hate the move on the Jamal Charles side too. It's a gamble and, you know, gambles, uh, when you gamble, it can be uh it's risky, and it can be won or lost. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called a gamble. But, hey, I, I, I applaud somebody for going for it there. 12-team, uh, half-point PPR, Calvin Benjamin and Jay Ajay for pick 1.02. What are your thoughts, Sammy? Um, I like the side that picked up the players. Uh, 1.02, it's probably going to be Doc Tender Treadwell. Uh those guys have not had a thousand yard season in the NFL like Kelvin Benjamin has. So even though he's coming off the injury, he's still young enough. You got to figure he's going to be able to recover from that. So you got a proven player plus a running back who may or may not, depending on the draft, uh, be a starter this year for the second overall pick. I think that's fair given just, just because, you know, Treadwell box and they could easily be bust or they could be great. We don't know. We do know that Benjamin is solid. So I'll side with the guy that picked up the players. Yeah, and you could potentially be getting a number one running back, you know, whether it's, you know, a top 15, top 10 uh, fantasy running back in JGI as well. And one thing to keep in mind, again, this is just a half PPR league, uh, half point PPR. So Benjamin, who I don't think he'll ever be like a 100 reception guy. So he's a little less valuable, especially in the half point uh, format there as he's more of a you know a, a touchdown red zone type of player I know he had over a thousand yards but he's not a not a not going to be a reception hog like a Jar, like a Jarvis Landry type of player is so uh yeah I, I don't think it's a bad trade at all I think both sides could feel pretty comfortable about that um David Johnson and a 2017 third for pick 1.01, so essentially Ezekiel Elliott, and a 2017 first, and Bilal Powell. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Well, I absolutely love David Johnson, um, thanks to, uh, in big part, to Burgundy's suggestion uh, last offseason. I've watched a lot of film on him leading up to the draft, and yeah, he's a guy that I loved going into the draft and obviously gave us nothing but uh, optimism uh, based on his rookie performance. That being said, being able to get Ezekiel Elliott and an additional first-round pick and Bilal Hall, who probably is only going to help you for another year or two. Let's be realistic. It's not a long-term thing. But getting two first-round picks for a guy who you probably 
you know, if you drafted him early, didn't draft him that early, uh, I, I think that's pretty good value for David Johnson. Uh, yeah, considering yeah what you what you spent on him, probably a late first, early second to be getting uh, Ezekiel Elliott, who I I think they could be similar running backs throughout their career in terms of production, but you're getting that additional 2017 first and a guy below Paulo who can uh, help you out, uh, you know, in the reception department, depending he comes back healthy. So yeah, it's, it's a hard move to to go off uh, David Johnson, but like Nick said, I think this move does certainly make a, uh, make some sense there. Um, one question I forgot when Bill was talking, um, you know, you brought up a good question, Nick, about uh, quarterbacks and, and uh, rookie drafts. I am so intri- – I'm going to be so intrigued to see where the quarterbacks go in our 16-team league. Now, it's not a two-quarterback league, but you can imagine with 16 teams, everybody – the goal for everybody is to have two starting quarterbacks. And that, but that adds up to all 32 quarterbacks being on teams. So obviously, some teams have backups and, and you know, whatnot. And some teams have three starters, and some teams have one. So it'll be interesting to see the value that people put on that quarterback position when and where, and and that that type of uh, setting. Don't you think? I mean. If you need a quarterback, if you didn't, if you only got one starter, I mean, you might be a little more inclined to take a Wentz or Goff, you know, mid first, wouldn't you think? Oh, definitely. In the sixteen-team format, quarterbacks are at a premium, like you said. Um, it's tough for me to say where where they would go. I am okay at quarterback in that league, so and I have the third overall pick. Absolutely no way I would go quarterback with the third overall pick. But, yes, it's going to be very interesting. And I think really uh, with this year's class especially, because, you know, there's no Andrew Luck in this year's draft class. So if you're looking for a quarterback, I think you need to look at the rosters of the teams that are drafting around you and just, you know, judge that way, you know, see how many teams need quarterbacks. And I think there's going to be huge variations from league to league as far as where these guys get drafted. Uh, yeah, most definitely. And I have I have the fourth pick, so I obviously will not be going quarterback there. But I also have the tenth pick of the first round. So, um, you know that the, I I would think that maybe one of those two guys would be there if I wanted to go that route. I'm not saying I am, but I'm just saying that's certainly an option that I would consider at that point of a of a 16 team uh, draft. And I said you know six you know six or eight maybe like in a 12 team league. Uh, but uh, but then again, the quarterback's not there. But if you you know if you believe in a guy, and let's not remember with this trade news today, it's not going to be a Cleveland quarterback. <laughs> so uh, that might put some more people's mind at ease. Um, so well, uh, I look forward to passing that uh, information on to you people because it's gonna that's gonna be so intriguing to me, and and hope it's obviously going to be a gauge for every year moving forward. Um, time to kick Josh out of the war room. I don't have an amazing intro for this yet, Nick. I keep I'm looking, but I can't. It's got to be perfect, very perfect. So I'll figure something out. Maybe I'll employ Henry to do something. Uh, kick me out of the war room, Nick. What do you think? You know. I'm as guilty as this of this as anybody else. But do we really need to say that these NFL prospects, that these rookies, soon to be NFL rookies, are athletes? I mean, aren't college football players athletes? 
you're playing college football, you know, you're playing football at a collegiate level. Why do we have to call them, oh, this guy's just a straight-up athlete. Like, that's going to sell me on on him as a, as a player, oh, because he's an athlete. I mean, yes, some guys are more athletic than they should be for their position, and that does stand out. But seriously, can we stop just calling these people athletes? And I'm saying I'm as guilty as anybody else, don't you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, uh, you know, from a football perspective, when I hear the term athlete, I think more of like uh, high school players going into college where they haven't had a, found their set position yet. That's when I think of the term athlete. Because, I mean, like you said, obviously, even a Division three school, you know, uh, Arena 2 player, they're, they're an athlete. They're far more <laughs> athletic and far more of athletes than you or I will ever be or have ever dreamed of being, right? Yeah, I mean – Granted, not all baseball players are athletes. I'm just kidding. But uh, the NFL players probably as a whole are a little bit more athletic, especially guys that played, you know, college football. But uh, just just a little something. So, and I, I I wouldn't blame anybody for kicking me out of the war room for talking, not specifically about a player like that. Uh, but that was just something that. Come on, why why do we do this? And, and I like I said, I am so guilty of it too. But uh, I'll make sure I put that disclaimer for his position. You know, Ashad Robinson is way more athletic than any defensive tackle needs to be. Uh, we'll put it. We'll leave it at that. Uh, but anyway, the moment you've all been waiting for, the big trivia question. Now I gave Nick a clue. What did the clue say? Just to Peyton Manning. Just Peyton Manning. Yeah, I think it was, just that it was Peyton Manning <laughs> trivia. That was that was the only clue. So oh, you know, so. I only had a twenty-year window to study. <laughs> Well, um, if you know me, you know kind of the directions I like to go with my uh, my um, trivia questions. And I thought since Peyton Manning is officially retired, it took a while now, officially retired, I thought we would have fun with this question. We did the same thing with RG3 after he left the Redskins. But, so Peyton Manning, I didn't even count because it's a lot. Just it, No, it's a lot. But Peyton Manning is obviously throwing a few touchdown passes in his time. So how many p- different players – has Peyton Manning thrown a touchdown pass to you, Nick? And how, and how and how many do you think you can name? Now I gave you a somewhat of a clue, and before I you know I know how to look this information up. Before I did that, I put myself to the same challenge. I thought, let's see how many I can name, and I named fifteen players on this list. And I thought, surely Nick is little bit more knowledgeable than me. He's got to be able to name 16, right? Um, I kind of <laughs> doubt it, but I will give it a shot. Um, so, of just course, remember, you got Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, and, but remember, just remember, yeah. it's not just wide receivers. Wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, even a few offensive linemen. But anyway, go ahead. So, we got Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, uh, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, um, Four. Yeah. Very good. So Virgil Virgil Green probably caught a touchdown this year, yeah? Just one. Good one. Going deep already. Okay. I like it. <laughs> uh, Ronnie Hillman. Did he catch touchdowns? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, got just one. Touchdown. Just one. Just one. Okay, yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing C.J. Anderson, Anderson probably has a touchdown. Two. Yep. Um, Edger and James. Eight. Um, 
did Peyton play with Marshall Falk, or was Marshall? No, Marshall was already gone by the time he got there. Never mind. No, he, he no, he did it. He did it. And that's nine. Oh, he did. Oh, I okay. Didn't, I didn't, I didn't um, have Marshall Falk. Yeah, he hit Marshall Falk twice or four times. Excuse me. Uh, who was the tight end number forty-four out of Iowa that played there in Indianapolis? Uh, I cannot think of his name. Complete brain. Uh, that's close. Oh. That's close enough. I'll give it to you. That's ten. Dallas Clark. Dallas Ironically, Clark caught forty-four touchdown passes. Yep. Um, um, Wes Welker. Yep, that's eleven. Brandon Stokely. Twelve. Um, Donald Brown. Did he not? I'm looking. <laughs> no, I don't see Donald Brown. You want to, you want to keep going? Um, yeah, 12. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop there, but for the final number, how about 23? 23 total? Oh, no, it's, I had, I'm not even counting. It's way more than that. It's like, it's like a full internet page deep. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, some of the guys you forget. Marcus Pollard was the Marcus Pollard. Did you and you didn't mm. say Julius Thomas either, did you? No, I completely spaced out Julius Thomas. Um, former and also current Redskin Pierre Garcon, um, oh, yeah. Aust- Austin Collie. I believe you said Brandon Stokely. You forgot Eric Decker, um, Jacob Tammy, Joseph Adai. Um, I remember Anthony Gonzalez. I don't know don't know why, but uh, those are some of the other ones. Dominic Rhodes, a couple of years. Uh Kadri Ishmael caught three. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's like wow, wow. what's the missile doing in this conversation? Um Dan Kleckel, that's an offensive lineman. Um Andre Caldwell, Owen Daniels, No Sean Marino. Yeah, I was just, just trying to think of like all the wide receivers and tight ends and running backs. So uh yeah, that was pretty much you know. Um, Anthony Gonzalez, uh, Terrence Wilkins, and Torrance Small. Those guys don't ring any bells at all to me, uh, but they cut seven touchdown passes from him. So, um, and uh, coincidentally, the lesser-known Ricky Williams, the five-seven, hundred and eighty-pound running back from Texas Tech, uh, not Texas University, caught two. I uh, didn't even remember he even played there, but. Uh, yeah, you did pretty good. I, I didn't get anybody that had less than five, though. I didn't get any of those. So you, you hit the nail on the head with uh I also forgot them. I guess I remembered CJ and, and uh, Ronnie Hillman, but I did not remember no Sean Marino. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, good now that we've given you the answer. But if you're wondering about a quarterback, you know, and just the fact that Manning has had success on multiple teams opens it up to so many different players there, you know. Five wide receivers, two tight ends, and three running backs probably almost every year uh, as at least a possibility there. So always fun to do a trivia question. And I, I, I'm not pointing at all at you, Nick. I just I, – I, I was like, there's no way that Nick's going to be able to name less than that. But uh, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe – Well, uh, it just goes to show, like, how, how fast the NFL goes from irrelevant to you're completely out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. People just forget about NFL players after they're, after they're gone for a couple of years. Yeah. 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 So, 
that is all we had for you today. Uh, like I said, next week, Jeff Lloyd is going to stop by from inside the pylon as we get prepared for the NFL draft. Um, Dynasty Dilemma, Nick. Oh, my gosh, I had it yesterday. Oh, yeah, wide receivers, Ricky wide receivers. Um, Tyler Boyd versus Sterling Shepard. I am going to take Boyd, so that leaves you uh, with the 5'10 Oklahoma product, who I absolutely love. And if you haven't watched a lot of film on him, you're going to enjoy it because he's he's a lot of fun. But those are kind of the uh, outside of the top, the two outside of the top three wide receivers in this class. So we'll debate Sterling Shepard versus Tyler Boyd next week. I look forward to that. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for Burgundy for doing the top ten running backs with me. Uh, Bill for stopping by and talking orphan teams. I love the uh, the salary cap side and, of course, the IDP question sides of that as well. So, Nick, uh, have a good week. One week from now, we'll be talking NFL draft as it'll be uh, NFL draft eve, so to speak. So, take care, buddy. You too, Josh. We'll see you next week.